Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Spooky Tyler. And I'm the Bye-Bye Man. I mean, I'm Alex. But I didn't want to think it or hear you say it. Oh, I'm Britain and apparently Shaggy. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. Halloween it's, season, that yes, is. Uh, here it is, your three favorite spooky buddies. Mm-hmm, We're back. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, it's terror time again. Um, how you guys doing? Having a good uh, Halloween season? Good spooky season? Sure. Sure, yeah. You guys gotten up to anything spooky? Uh, watching this movie. Ah, I knew it. I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> I killed the man. <laughs> let's not <laughs> let's not address that. It's very spooky. <laughs> Moving on. It was a pretty spooky night for me when I committed when I when I got my first taste of of blood. Um, no, but this is our big Halloween spooktacular, our first real Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. We didn't do what you would call a traditional Halloween movie. Do you guys? And the legitimate question: Do you guys usually watch a lot of? horror movies or Halloween things around this time of year? I usually like the idea of doing that. And yeah. then fa- and I think part of the reason why it usually fails in execution for me is because there's not a lot of uh, uh, movies that really like hit that itch sure. uh, to some extent. Like, I, There's less than I think I real. I guess in terms of being like actually scary. Yeah. Um, because it's it feels like there's sort of a, a range between like your, your slasher movies that are kind of yeah. like you know like you've got something like Halloween that's very well done right 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 um, but then you've got but, your like uh, sorority row or whatever sure yeah. uh, but then like it's either something like that where it's very just like over the top and gory or you swing all the way over to like just something that's completely horrifying sure, <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know like existentially terrifying yes yeah. uh, so that I, I, I want a healthy middle and I, I'm also not very well versed in horror movies in general I think we've talked about this before on the podcast yeah I'm slowly um, getting there personally it's something that we, we want to get into more of but of course with franchises again you get a lot of sort of like over the top weird 13 entries in a thing yes yeah. um, so uh, so this week yeah uh, we, we just well, thought... Alex did, did, do you watch Halloween spooky movies oh, yeah, around this time of year um I try to yeah Sometimes I, I do a little experimenting. Like I, I think Tyler and I have done this in the past, where we just kind of take a list of like yes. five random horror movies. Yeah. Not not random, but but sort of semi big movies that we haven't e- seen before. Some of them are classics. Some of them are, are more contemporary. And then we just kind of like marathon through them all. And I think part of the problem was that uh, the first time we did that, um, we we chose The Thing, The Exorcist, and Halloween. I believe. Those and three? Scream. Those are okay. Was, those are four. Was Nightmare on Elm Street another one we talked? Did we? Yes, we may have been we over did that two one nights. as well. We just like those are good tackled. Picks. And and this is the problem is that that was like the ba- the foundation oh, of sure. horror films. Yeah, and how do you so follow it up? then like yeah. after well we followed it up at one point with It Follows, um, okay. <laughs> which is follow it. Yeah, great. It was a thing. It was, it was cute joke. Uh, it is, but yeah, uh, has a great score. Oh, sure. um, but yeah, uh, so we from that point, I think we've we've struggled to hit the same highs. Um, yeah, I mean, Scream is fantastic. It is very good. Yeah, because uh, I I tend to around this time, I I, I go more for like autumn viewing mm-hmm. than I do specifically horror movies. So when the two cross over, that's great. But there, and I actually haven't seen the Halloween movies. Like mm-hmm. I'm very new to horror movies, but like. Something like Hereditary, which is a movie that I love, is not autumnal specifically. Right. So it's like, you know, Christmas usually Christmas movies. I watch a lot of Christmas movies, and those always take place right around Christmas time. 
And for me, it's always just like, oh, but is it is it really time yet? Does it really look like Halloween stuff outside? Yeah. Do yeah. I want to watch? So I have things that I watch every autumn, but they're not always Halloween-oriented. But then there are some Halloween movies that I do like to watch. I mean, I'm a big Cabin in the Woods fan. Sure. You know, I'm a big... Uh, Scream, obviously, is great. Big Carrie, the original Carrie, I think is mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen uh, uh, The Thing, but I really want to, because I bet, I, I bet I'd like it. I like John Carpenter. Yes, that might be my favorite movie. horror movie. Mm-hmm. Nice, that's I mean, it's a, a good poll. That's a just great movie sure. all around. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah, I bet. Um, but but we decided to do something completely a little, a little different. Just off the, the we watched so- Spooky Buddies. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. Alex is still not going to let that happen. As the, I was, I was as waiting the, for somebody to go. We marathoned all three Pitch Perfect movies, and now we're going to talk <laughs> about the trilogy. We watched Juana Man as the. Uh, as the <laughs> The goblins tie Alex down to force him to watch Spooky Buddies while we chant and, and laugh. Uh, <laughs> no, when you say goblins, do you mean goblins from Labyrinth or goblins from like a Lord of the Rings? Um, or like the Hobgoblins. <laughs> Either way, they're going to cut out my heart and sacrifice it <laughs> for the oh, podcast. It happened in Labyrinth. I don't think that <laughs> did happen see, in Lord of the see, Rings. See, Britain, you yeah, missed we'll you missed that. the after credit scene where they were setting up the extended universe. Oh, jeez. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I think uh, I, I do want to note real quick that. Um, we uh, we have now gotten our taste of the the Annabelle Conjuring universe. Uh, uh-huh. Now that the DCU is officially part of the Annabelle <laughs> Conjuring universe, <laughs> yep. uh, so I think we may have to we may have to, to consider that as we uh, get around this time next year, trying to prepare a little bit ahead of time, see if maybe a, maybe we'll 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 put that up for a horror franchise down the line because yeah, that is also not nearly as as daunting as like the fourteen Halloween movies. Yeah, or like Nightmare on Elm such. Street or Friday the Thirteenth or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we Tyler and I were talking. We had a couple of ideas for for future spooktaculars. But hey, guys, enough teasing the audience. <laughs> what movie are we? Did we watch? And will we be discussing yeah. tonight? So, what movie did we barely justify doing <laughs> on our show? We did talk about uh, Phantom, or not? We will be talking about. We did watch Phantom of the Opera. Now, um, Alex, uh, surely we're we're talking about the the classic. Uh, 1925 black yeah, and white silent movie with Lon, uh, Lon, Lon yeah, Lon, yeah Chaney, Lon Chaney right? Yeah, right is that is that correct that's what I yeah, watched yeah of course yep that's that's what we were watching <laughs> cool good good All but right. I synced up the soundtrack <laughs> to the one we're talking about like a dark side of the moon situation <laughs> oh no no, no. So, sorry sorry we're, we're actually we're talking about the uh, the, the Robert Eglund um, fan of the opera uh, from the 80s uh, is that right Oh, he did one. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. <laughs> well, so I guess. Are we, so who is who's are, the director of the one? That, wait, 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 no. Are we doing the? Are, this is our book club, right? We read the Gaston yeah. Leroux novel <laughs> that was serialized and then published as a novel. All right, let me pull out my copy. His reference. <laughs> it's all dog-eared because he's been like. Been it's it got my sticky notes written in crayon. Come on. <laughs> Also blood. <laughs> you can't get a lot of, of. You must have really thin crayons to be able to. Yeah. You ever tried to write in crayon? <laughs> They're gourmet crayons. I work at a children's <laughs> department of a library. It's very hard to write in crayon. <laughs> B. Well, I got to get another note. <laughs> no, Alex. What version of the Phantom of the Opera? Yeah, what's are who's, we doing? who's the director of this this here movie? Here so film. we watched. We watched arguably the best version and the the definitive version of the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I don't think anybody could argue with that. Um, uh, friend of the podcast, Joel Schumacher's The Phantom of the Opera <laughs> from 2005. It has a 33% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 84% audience score. Yes. <laughs> oh. 
That's, good That's so good. Should, Man, should a I lot explain of a little bit? This movie. <laughs> should I explain a little bit what the thought process was for why we chose this for a Halloween? <laughs> if special? you can, sure, go for it. <laughs> so, uh, a part of it was just I was really excited by by the musical episode that the two of you did. I really, really enjoyed that one. Go listen to it if you haven't. We could talk about more than just franchises and still have fun. <laughs> yeah, we opened a gate that we now cannot close. Guys, we went to a new place and we brought something back with us. <laughs> oh my god. It's the so, yeah. I, I was I was thinking about like more fun ways that we could try and inject specifically musicals because that just seems like a really fun topic that we yeah. haven't covered that much. Um, so I was, we were spinning ideas for like Halloween themed episodes, and I was like, "What? What are the like the big horror Halloween esque musicals that I can think of?" And it's really just like Sweeney Todd, and then the Phantom of the Opera has some horror elements. Some like, eh, there's a masquerade ball. There's a guy running around. There's killings. He's, you know. he's killing people. He's sneaky. It's kind of gothic yeah. with a lot of it. And then it's Joel Schumacher. So. Our, our old friend, and there are various, there are like small budget horror musical movies like Repo, the Genetic Opera, right? Uh, which I've seen pieces of and, and quite like. Um, I think there's one called Stage Fright. Um, that's about like a kid's trying to put on a musical, and there's also a killer. And so I haven't seen it, but I have to clearly. Um, so there's stuff like that. I don't know if they ever made the Toxic Avenger into a movie or uh, the musical into a movie, but um, however. None of those were directed by Joel Schumacher. No, they were not. And I want to also make clear about Joel Schumacher. We've, we guys, we have a lot of fun here. We, we do. Joel Schumacher has made a lot of movies. We have only seen Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and Phantom of the Opera. Right. So we've seen his the most cartoony films in his filmography. Yeah, we've seen these ones, and probably his. We've his, seen his most important works. We've seen his seminal works, yes. but like he's a filmmaker that I. I really don't think he's like a bad director. No, no, no. Like, and he also seems no. so much more, <clears throat> excuse me, so much more like functional as a person than many of the directors we talk about. And so, like, like you just like, if you just listen doing, to him in an interview, yeah. like talking, yeah. he seems just like a normal dude. Yeah, like he doesn't he doesn't get weird or, or like <laughs> he, like when he's trying to answer a question, he doesn't like I don't know diverge off into some weird tangent just yeah. to kind of come back yeah. at the very end. Like, like, he, I don't know. Yeah, he's not like a creative. He's not like he hasn't created this myth of himself in his own mind. Right. You know, he's not like, oh, I'm this visionary like wonderkin. He's like, I make movies. You know, come on. Like, mm-hmm. and I think he tries, and I think he knows what he's doing. And so I'm genuinely interested to see more of his movies to get an idea of like what is he like when he's not handling a big superhero property or like adapting this big musical you know i what's it like when he's making something where there's not as much pressure and he can just kind of do his thing because right. i think he's we'll get into it but like there are a lot of things i like about this movie mm-hmm. and that i think do go back to him and i i don't know like i, I guess i guess this is all a preface to say like we don't hate joel schumacher <laughs> and we oh, it's certainly not we don't want to like we, we, we've made, had fun doing, like, impressions of him and stuff on the show, but, like, none of that is done maliciously. So, like, I don't want people to think that we're like, oh, this idiot. <laughs> I, I hate that guy. It's like, nah, whatever. He's... When you make Batman I, I and Robin, a, there's, there's... I am know. a staunch defender of Batman Forever. It's not a yeah. great movie, but I am a staunch defender of that movie. Well, I like Batman and Robin a lot for what it is. In, right. a, in a post-Dark Knight world, I can very easily digest Batman and Robin and have a lot of fun right. with it. Now Gerard Butler, on the other hand, yeah, this is a different Man, situation. Go no, no. <laughs> I will say, this is not the performance of his that I like. No, it's, I, I really did not hate him in this. No, uh, I didn't can, either. We can get into it. But the one that um, I love is How to Train Your Dragon. He's great in those mm-hmm, movies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but I would so... like to point out first, before we get into best and worst things, going back to kind of our, our thought process with this, I do find it amusing that the two big musicals that came to mind, Joel Schumacher directed one and Tim Burton directed the other. <laughs> we, yeah, we, talk, we, we briefly brought up, I think last week, Alex, you were like, would we want to double up? And I was like, I have a lot to say. <laughs> I don't think also we the, have the time. Although, also, I didn't realize this movie's like two and a half hours, long, so yeah. in hindsight... Doing one yep. was was yep. the better option. Sweeney Todd is a good we, back pocket for we, the future. We joked about uh, uh, backstage. We joked about um, doing uh, <laughs> Phantom of the Megaplex and uh, the fact that we. The, I the, think that was just you. We had, I think but we, I got really into it. I think it. we'd actually <laughs> talked about it before that point, but I, I brought it up yeah, again the other night. I was watching this and being like, man, we should have planned ahead of time so we all would have had time to watch that as well. Yeah, which probably would have ended up being just sort of like a. A very sad, slapped-on addition to this. A, a better idea than than, yes, than action. Uh, I think we'll get a lot out of this. Do we want to set a time limit for this, or do we just want to see where the night takes us? Are we? Is <laughs> the, the, are where, we where, where the music of the night goes? Yes. Oh dear. Uh, well, I would argue since it's a Halloween spooktacular episode, uh, I think we just we just freewheel it. We just, we we just, just do whatever. Just go. Well, you know, guys, they say nighttime sharpens, <laughs> heightens every podcast. Feel it. <laughs> All right, Tyler, now you're doing the Christine role. <laughs> I can't even think of one. Yeah, of also, just to the listeners, I'm. Angel! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be singing a lot on this episode. <laughs> That's fair. What can I say? I got a song in my heart. So, who wants to start with best thing, worst thing? Should I can we... go. I feel like I don't need to go for it. Yeah, you don't need to start. Take the start. Um, my my best thing about this, which is not a great omen, uh, is the first uh, <laughs> fifteen minutes or so. Sure, um, I know what you mean though. Basically, like so, uh, and we we probably talked about this on the musical episode, or I don't actually know if I'd listened to it by that point. Um, but uh, when I when I got really into just like randomly listening to musicals for a bit there, um, I listened to the soundtrack for this. Uh, the I think it was the original. It was either the original album or maybe like an anniversary album. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about musicals to like judge, (laughs) you know, anything about them. Um, But uh, the thing that struck me the most was the the real punch of like the music, like especially the the Phantom's musical cue, the dun 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 dun, 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 like that with and the way that like he Andrew Lloyd Lloyd Webber being him um, uses the sort of guitars and 80s rock and everything with the orchestral stuff to mm-hmm. create like this really sort of eerie awesome intense atmosphere and that i think comes across really really well just listening to it yeah. uh in the in the opening when they are doing the auction and you know they kind of set up this sort of creepy atmosphere and then they say oh it's it's auction order uh, 666 what you know the uh, the the chandelier that was there do the, you get it the night of uh, yeah but the night of those uh those dreadful incidents well it's a musical it's fine it, yeah. remember everybody it's a musical um <laughs> 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 All right, I'm gonna have to keep that in my back pocket. To use I'm later. sure I'm not the first person to have made that joke, um, but uh, then then they they're like, we we will raise the chandelier and perhaps we'll bring new light to the the theater mm-hmm. or whatever. And then when they they do that and the music kicks in, like yeah. that is a really intense hit. And I think that the movie does a really good job of that. Where it, right. it opens with it's kind of an interesting idea to open with black and white being a flash forward. Sure. Sure. Um, but then, yeah, they, they, they get to the point and they uh, they raise the chandelier, they unveil it, and and the music swells and the candles all light. And it's like, 
yeah. and, uh, the color comes in and the, the seats blow back, all the cobwebs blow off the seats. It's really good. The effects I think, on, on that is yes, dynamite. I think it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, um, and, and however you feel about the show as a whole, that, like you said, that theme is, it just hits you in such a, yes. it's like, I can't listen to that and not get a little punch of adrenaline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's a really amazing thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that from there, it, it's a lot of fun to immediately sort of die back. It almost, it, it gives off a very, like, um, to me, sort of a classic, uh, maybe maybe like a Muppets Christmas Carol sort of feel, where, you know, you're getting a very good, like, period piece mm-hmm. sort of, like, thing from that, <laughs> that uh, late 1800s. Is Christmas Carol late 1800s? Is that time period? Uh, I believe it's the 1800s, yeah. So this right. is the early 1900s. Right, yeah. right. But, but I believe, I believe yeah. Carol's the 1800s, um, yeah. And so uh, then you get, like, that uh, that feel very well, like sure. in terms of like they're all talking at the opera and they're all like, yeah, uh, everyone's just having a grand old time. They're just mm-hmm. you know, enjoying themselves, and being being uh, being their uh, several centuries ago selves, uh, <laughs> and and they got delightful. A accents. century ago, but yes, <laughs> yeah, century and a half to give it a yeah. Um and de- delightful accents and, and everything, um, and then. Uh, Delightful British accents yes. in France. Yes, it's fine. Eh. It's fine. Um, it's it's a very fun. I mean, obviously, except for Patrick Wilson, who just does an American yes. accent. Uh, obviously, it's very. <laughs> that's how they represent the French accent. It's different from the others. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's obviously very heightened and not like at all sort of yeah. like yeah, trying to evoke yeah. you know France from that time period. But it's just a lot of fun um, to, to see everyone kind of dancing around and singing and everything like everyone's having a good time you get a good feel for all the personalities involved um and everyone's just like having this nice uh time at the opera working for the opera and then uh things happen yeah (laughs) um but that that i think initial section it it kind of fades into me being like okay this is this is fine i'm I'm settling into the movie uh after that point but i think that there's a there's a good 10 or 15 minute stretch at the beginning that, that is really strong yeah. Draws you in. I felt the same um, way when I was watching that that stretch. I was like getting very excited, yeah. like, "Oh man, this is I'm I'm very yeah." I was yeah, yeah. yeah same, same same. Um, worst thing. <laughs> I think for me, it would have to be the fact that there is really no part of maybe not no part, but. By and large, the there is not a, a real attempt to make the Phantom scary. Yeah, um, they they do a lot of things that take away from this. Um, for one, the so the the logo, and I was looking this up, and I, I realized this is the kind of the background. The logo for the musical, if I'm not mistaken, is a full mask, right? It's a full mask um, and a rose. Yes, and I was looking up that <laughs> that uh, the apparently in the musical it's generally only a half mask yeah. because it's hard to be expressive. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, they go for a half mask. And I'm kind of like, in a movie, we're seeing a much closer image of the yeah. man's face who is playing the Phantom, and therefore we can do a lot more with that and yeah. not show just how, like, actually clean he is outside sure. of this this one <laughs> little chunk of his yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that's immediately a problem because they cast such a young Phantom yeah. relative to, like... Yeah, but when you have a Gerard Butler, I mean, you want every flicker of expression on his face it's I mean true. this is a Spencer Tracy reborn <laughs> uh, um, sorry Jared Butler <laughs> you're a very big he's man he's got his fallen movie revenue there are three of them now he's, he's fine he's doing fine 
Um, we're not doing them. <laughs> sometime, at some point, we will probably do them, audience. I'm just going to... If we're not doing the Expendables movies, we're not doing them. I'm just throwing it out there. Inevitably, there, there's, there's a, a, a swing. Every time we bring up something awful that we don't want to do on this podcast, we eventually just do it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm I'm not ruling it out. I, I'm not gonna. Maybe that'll make it less likely to come to pass. It would be um, so terrible if we watched all the buddies movies. <laughs> oh, I'd hate that. I totally agree. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're but, but so but, they're not making the Phantom scary. Yes, and so and he I shows up. That. He shows up with like the red suit on, and then later he's got the the Don Juan. Yeah, uh, Don. I'm always confused by this. I think it's Don Juan. Because it's Don Juan is generally how you pronounce it, but then there's the, in uh, Les Miserables, well, at one point. I think point, that's because Gonchera is drunk, yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> He's like, Don Juan. Also because they, I think. Well, it's uh, to fit the, the yeah. melody. Sean, I uh, but I, I kind of like that pronunciation more because it's, it's sure, funny. Sure. I don't know. Um, anyway, he's got like the full mask on. Yeah. And like that works a lot better because like he can sort of, when it's just his jaw and his eyes, mm. That's just inherently much easier to be intimidating with. Sure. Um, and so when it's when it's just Gerard Butler's very clean shaven, you know, yeah. n- nice face, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of like well, this is not. Yeah. Well, it's the idea that like a lack of expression can be scarier mm-hmm. than a than a lot of expression. It depends on how it's done, obviously. Sure. But you look at like in Gladiator, the guy he fights whose mask is like the faceless mask. Mm-hmm. That guy's terrifying mm-hmm. to me, and is all scarred up and stuff underneath it. But right. his protective mask is just too... It's a very plain, expressionless thing. Right. But he's coming after him with this... Like, his body's very active, but his face is blank. Mm-hmm. And that's a very frightening image mm-hmm. to me. I mean, it, Michael Myers and yeah. any yeah, yeah. popular exactly. Exactly. character like and, that. And yeah. so it's kind of like... That... Or like Kate Beckinsale, you know? I mean, just like... Very sure. expressionless. <laughs> that's mean. Harsh. Sorry, Kate Beckinsale. Um, <clears throat> but it, it is very much like... <laughs> When you the fact that cause <clears throat> I saw something that like Joel Schumacher cast Gerard Butler to like emphasize the sexuality because they're they're both him and Christine are both young and like fine whatever, um, but yeah when you when you see so much of his face and like you get to see so much of his expression so much of the time it's kind of like this is not really yeah you know it's not intimidating it, it's I, spooky at all I think that's um, the issue is this this. I don't know if the in- intent of the sh- even the show, certainly not the movie, is 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 the Phantom supposed to be scary? Right. We're he's I think, definitely supposed to be sexy. We're all sure. supposed to want sure. to to I go down to think... that cool uh, cave, <laughs> boat cave. Yeah. With a horse. The horse is so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, just so I don't forget <laughs> sure, about it. Sure. When he's taking Christine to his lair. Which is not only beneath the opera house, but also, I guess, in Venice. And he's a boat, and he's going taking her all these places. There's a part where he leads her down a ho- on a horse down about 20 feet, and then she gets <laughs> off the horse, and then Britain. Don't, don't know worry, the horse I was goes in between. It's, it's sort of like a late 1800s <laughs> negging. I think it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got a horse. All right, done with the horse. Get on the boat again. It's so good. So I guess that horse just hangs out there in between. I just didn't want to wait for you as you had to walk down. The um, it's um, so good. Yeah, it's very strange. And the the way it's very comical. The way the horse is just like it's very framed. Silly. Like it's just like. But apparently that is in the novel. Is there's a horse at some point? But also I don't know where his lair is. In the novel. Confirmed there is a horse in yeah. the novel. Um, oh man, it's so good. Best uh, adaptation ever. But sure. <laughs> so uh, good. Agreed. 
<laughs> uh, but listening to the musical, I think I mean I did get I think about talking about like the music and stuff in, in terms of his that beat that theme, yeah. Um, I, and especially like the way he laughs and like the I mean it, it helps as well that when I was listening to this, I was basically just looking up a description sure. of what happens. Um, but even then, I think there's a vibe there of the and this is kind of the other big thing I would say about his performance is that they um, don't have him or they have him show up far too much I feel like yes um, in terms of we see what he's doing backstage we right. see him walking around we we don't and the, <clears throat> part of the thing too is that they they make him <clears throat> to my understanding at least a lot less mystical yeah um, in terms of like the way he he makes Carlotta croak as he like switches out her drink yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like I don't believe he throws fireballs at any point which is my no, understanding he, but he does, in the show there is like some pyrotechnics yes, at one point yes yeah and so it's kind of like there's there's some more going on there, and then it's like and and there's some other stuff about like the he makes the people rehearse his play, um, mm-hmm. and, it, and like he forces them to magically like they just all start doing it in unison. It's very yeah, creepy. Yeah. Like there there's some stuff going on there that they take out a lot of the magical elements um, in this, and then we we just see him doing it. Like we see him fighting with the dude uh, on the the catwalks before he he hangs him. Yeah, where it should just be like. At least in my opinion, that the guy it, just should, drops. it should just be like they're 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 dancing, and then boom, guy, yeah. dead guy hanging from a from a noose. What's, yeah. what's I agree one hundred percent. And even even more than that, I I don't think we should get a reveal of the phantom until Christine sees him in the mirror. Yes. Yeah. Because they they keep like th- there's that weird shot because hey, special effects are fun where we're like we're descending through into mm-hmm. the, like the caverns mm-hmm. and it's going through like the crack in the floor yeah. and then there's just this weird shot and I think it's our, our first shot of yes. the phantom it's just this overhead thing of the back of Gerard Butler's head <laughs> I'm like what is that shot why is that in the movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah I um I don't remember cuz I I have seen so I've seen the stage production I saw this when I was in high school when it was touring um and so I I remember it like like emotionally very vividly but specifics I don't recall as much I don't know the first time we see the Phantom in mm-hmm. the show I think it's in the mirror gotcha because I seem to remember the, that being like an applause point right he goes I am there inside and it you know the guy hits this amazing note full voice and the music and everything mm-hmm. and you're like this is incredible and then the audience going berserk yeah. for it and then um, everybody in the audience goes that's the Phantom of the Opera. That's that's the kind's of title. It's the guy. Um, Everybody's just nudging everybody else sitting beside them in yeah. the audience. But, and and I, this is clearly, this, despite this being our Halloween show, it's not a horror musical. Mm-hmm. But you can make you can do something to make the Phantom at least intimidating, or like yes. the idea of, or you can understand why the people are scared of him. Yes. Yeah. When you show all the machinations of his plan, as opposed to like just the corpse that he leaves behind. Mm. Who was uh, Mr. Briggs or whatever in the Pirates movies? Hmm. Gibbs. Mr. Gibbs. Gibbs, yes. thank you. It was Gibbs. That's. I thought that's who that was. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. Kevin he's got a, he's got a, lot, a lot more facial hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yet, when, when you actually watch him doing everything, you're like, well, now I know... He's just a dude. I know what and he's doing. Well, it's just weird in it. the pacing of the scene because I, I'm thinking <clears> about it, and this is me not having actually seen the musical, so I, I'm just judging this Fresh as a movie. Noob. Correct. This is accurate. Um, but just thinking like, oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it just – like the, the contrast of like, oh, it's this light yes. music. Like they're practicing, they're rehearsing, whatever. And yeah. then suddenly the guy gets dropped in the middle oh, of it. Oh, yeah. As opposed to, 
oh, you're intercutting. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's the editing is so frenetic. It would have been neat if there was, like, all this chaos and then, like, a still shot. They're rehearsing. They're rehearsing body drop. Right. And then everyone freaks right. out all in one still shot. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then sort of the final element of all of this is the actual disfiguration, which I think is actually fairly... Yeah, it's not bad. Cool. Like, it's, uh, you know, it's creepy. It's, okay. It's weird. Yeah, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> decent, decent makeup. And Again, it's better was... than uh, <clears throat> it's better than Tommy Lee Jones and Batman Forever. Sure. If well, we're, it's a tricky if one we're comparing because... half face disfigurements sure. in Joel Schumacher movies, what's well, a quadrant of his face even? Because his exactly. whole chin and mouth. Oh, that's true. So that's a tricky that's one true. where you're like, we have to mess up the, only this part yes. of his face. It was more effective than I expected it to be because by that point, like they, there's the bit, and I, I thought this is just what we were going to get. Um, mm-hmm. Even knowing kind of how it ended, I thought they were they might just do this where he covers his face. Yes. And, earlier yeah, and so we never yeah, see removes that. Yeah, yeah we never actually see the makeup and so it's just like okay well is that are we just leaving it there <clears throat> and so yeah like given that it's it's this one corner of its face it's like okay i can see i can see how that's pretty messed up yeah. like i can see how this is this is uh scarred you for your entire life yeah um but it is still like imagine if that was his entire face yeah and we had just revealed that after you know that there's something that i think would have <laughs> the the inconsistency for, for me comes where when she, when christine removes the mask when she's down in the in the mm-hmm. big hole, she <clears throat> takes off his mask and he's like, "No, my face," like in Brady Bunch. But he's still True. got his hair slicked back. Later, when she when he takes the mask off, his hair is wild and blonde. So well, is, is it a mask that, wig? Well, there are wigs in his little man yeah. cave. So <laughs> that's what we're calling it now. Next was like, well, I was I was thinking. Ba- <laughs> I was thinking Bat Cave, but no, Man Cave is better. Man Cave is better. Come on down to my Man Cave. I've got some Doritos down here. I got just some, got a uh, 4K Blu-ray player. 4K Blu-ray player, pretty cool. Free all. How? Want to watch Joel Schumacher's Fan of the Opera? When they, when they cut away to show everybody, and they cut back to Christine like waking up. He's playing pinball in the corner. Like, come on, come on, stupid thing! I really like wow, this. That's a that's a fancy lighting system you got there. How much did you pay the electrician to put those candlesticks in the water? That was so awesome. And she's like, she wakes up next to his like Rainbow Dash plushie, and he's like, Rainbow Dash is mine. <laughs> Go get your own. Shut up. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's not for little girls. It's for grown. It's for big boys. <laughs> Man caves are stupid. Um, <laughs> he's got like a neon he, like. He says he says recording in an apartment that belongs to me. That is basically a man cave. Hey, yeah, um, I guess so. Um, <laughs> remember, everyone, it's a man cave. <laughs> He has one of, instead of a Bud Light sign, it's like a Cabernet or some like glassy <laughs> wine, but it's still neon. <laughs> He's got a got a, a Don Juan poster. <laughs> it's like velvet. Yeah, it's black light poster of Don it's, Juan. It's like painted like Star Wars, like the Star Wars classic. Poster. And he's got all the, like those glow in the dark stars and moons up on the ceiling. There's a Fight Club poster there. <laughs> yes, it's definitely. I was going to say there's a Fight Club poster <laughs> that's actually signed by David Fincher. <laughs> For <laughs> prize possession. I don't think you get this movie, Christine. They cut back instead of music of the night. He's just he's just mansplaining Fight Club, Christine. <laughs> no, I don't think she's like. No, I've seen the movie. I I know, and they're the same person. But you don't get it. God, it just really speaks to me. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Well, we need to. I think we do need to address Love Never Dies at some point. Oh, we will because um, I saw that too. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's it's a heck of an experience. Um, 
Okay, uh, the mask. Yeah. So, because I, I guess at, at first it seemed that the mask was the mask and the wig were individual pieces, mm-hmm. and she only removed the mask. But then later, when she when they removed one, the whole thing comes off. Mm-hmm. Which maybe he did some like full sweep. I don't know. But it just it was very like he's practiced this many times. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'm just, uh, no, no, it's stupid. I, I keep making weird Batman comparisons, and I apologize for that. Maybe it's like the the, the eye makeup, sure, sure, underneath the, the bat cowl where so they they rip it off, and and like the eye makeup's just gone, and yeah. it's just like, oh, okay, yeah. I, I that's fine. That's yeah, that, I, that might be. It's just a part of the costume. Just to get over it. It's yeah. fine. It's, I know, I it's a get over it, Brit. <laughs> Brit needs a musical. You're not supposed to think about it. I put it out an inconsistency. I thought you'd be happy. Just enjoy the wanted. lights and sound. <laughs> the, the the real Halloween scare is that Alex and I have switched personalities. Oh my god! <laughs> so that's my best worst thing. Woo! That's fair. Alex, do you want to go or shall I? I, I, I'd like to go ahead. All right. Um, but before I do that, I, I have my trusty list of misgivings. I just want to list off the first four notes that I made while watching the movie. Are they dun-dun-dun-dun? Unfortunately, no. I should have done that. I should have literally written out dun-dun-dun-dun. All right. All right. Here All right, are the first four you know, bullet before, points. Before we started this recording, when I thought of your trusty list, I thought, wishing it was somehow here again. Go on. <laughs> I don't remember right. the rest of the song. Note, note number one. Holy crap, Steppenwolf is in charge of the opera. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> number two. Minnie Driver is straight out of Batman and Robin. Yep. Number three. The Phantom is revealed way too early. We already addressed mm-hmm. this. Yes, number four. Where did the horse come from? <laughs> <laughs> well... When a phantom and a cave love each other very much, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I also, I also had the realization that Patrick Wilson should have played Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars prequels. Ooh, but anyways, no. would he still have a career? <laughs> I was gonna say I he handles probably. bad dialogue like a pro. Oh no, Patrick <clears throat> Wilson's fantastic. Should he have also been in Jumper and Life as a House? I think. I think we're. I think these <laughs> comparisons are maybe. <laughs> Was this, does this mean that Hayden Christensen is uh, Night Owl? That might be what we have to sacrifice, yes. <laughs> sure. I can, yeah, yeah. That's fine. All right, yeah. so let's go. Alex, best okay. and worst, Phantom of the Opera edition. Um, <laughs> best thing was just strange because I like this This movie's just a mess sure. for me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring <laughs> it out. A legitimate question because you weren't here for the musical episode. How many musical movies have you seen? And this isn't like, a, I'm not trying to like neg you or whatever. I'm, I'm genuinely <laughs> curious, like, how familiar are you with musicals as a, a as a medium anyway? Counter of references well, to Because I wonder how much of this would be just from lack of familiarity, where I can come in and be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. That's what we're doing. But And I'll, I'm sure I'll have tons of questions, but um, I, I don't know. Are, if, are we including, like, Disney movies? Because, like, so many of those are, are musicals. Yeah. So. I, I specifically meant, like, live action. But, yeah, I mean, Disney would, would count. I mean, technically, they are musicals. Probably if I actually broke it down and, and considered, like, oh, yeah, that's a musical, isn't it? Probably more than ten, at least. Sure, sure. Okay, um, just curious. But the, the majority of those would be Disney movies. But, gotcha. but like, musicals outside of that, it's probably, like, a handful. Sure, sure. Okay, no. Um. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, it's very strange for me. I was, I was having a hard time figuring this movie out when I'm just trying to judge mm-hmm. it as a movie and right. not as a musical. Yes, um, yes. 
so that that's where I I'm sort of coming at this. Yeah, uh, and we're, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I think my favorite thing in the whole movie is is the sequence where where they sing all or uh, is it all I ask of you or yeah all I ask of when out in the snow and whatnot. Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. All I ask of you. Yeah, and I think that's mostly just because I like that song, and I mm-hmm. think that's. The best utilization of Patrick Wilson and Emmy Rosam's uh, voices. Um, yeah, it's weird that they keep cutting back to the Phantom during yes. that sequence. They totally shouldn't. Once again, less is more with this guy. The keep movie him is, in the shadows. The movie is don't better reveal when he's him not on screen. Yes. Yes. It's like Jaws. Sure. Don't yeah, show yeah, your that's hand. That's actually exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. of. <laughs> um, but I really like that scene. That's yeah. a that's a really good song. I, I I've listened to that song kind of separate from mm-hmm. the movie and from like Phantom of the Opera in general. When you were so writing I, like I... Alex Robbie in your diary, <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, like Margot Robbie, and you got married, and you were writing Alex Robbie because you took her life. And I, okay, I don't know who you like. Okay, I just I just Butler. wanted to make we sure Alex Movie Day. <laughs> That's my guess would have been you were going with Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Anyways, I already have some preconceived notions as to how that song is supposed to play in this. Sure. In, in terms of like, oh, it's like an epic romance tragedy thing. Like I can imagine how the song like ha- what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. Well, but yeah, then I mean, I it's, it's the a movie. big love duet. Yeah. Right. But then I watched the movie and pretty much all of the characters are really flat and hollow and mm-hmm. the story is yep. just like the most bare bones thing and yep. then I got to that song I'm like something I recognize yeah um, well, and, this is and some, like I said yeah. in and of itself like I don't think Patrick Wilson and Emmy Rossum get an opportunity to really like have chemistry or mm-hmm. like interact or develop a relationship so that was the one time where I'm like oh there's a spark there's something yeah. there yeah, and then the rest yeah, of the movie the, happens. Yeah, little Lottie is not much of a backstory for these characters. <laughs> little Lottie. Like, that's not really anything. But right. I think also, and I don't remember this specifically, but in the play, obviously they do the song and then the Phantom comes out. I don't know if the way it's staged in the theater that the Phantom is on stage during that, like hiding behind something. But that's yeah. a very different type of experience. Because in a, in, in, a, in a show, you're looking at one thing. one whole tableau even if it's separate events are going on concurrently in different locations all on one stage it's all one image whereas the movie is constantly taking you to different you have to leave something to look at something else exactly in in a play for them to go okay so it's the you two are front and center doing your big number but maybe and I'm, I'm totally guessing here I don't remember the fandom maybe is up here in the shadows. So if an audience member notices that the phantom's there, that adds to it. And yeah. oh my goodness, he's which there, is what I imagine pull- most yeah. of the play is. But in he's terms not pulling like, focus. Yeah. You know? uh, but then if you don't see him there, then you get surprised when he comes out at the end. <clears throat> as opposed to look at this beautiful duet. Now you have to. Now everyone's yeah. looking at the phantom. Now back to the duet. Yeah. One, it breaks and up I, the flow of that song a little bit. But yeah, that's, that, I don't. I don't know if it was supposed to be like we're trying to increase the tension because the phantom could pop out and try to attack them. I think that was the goal. But it, it's a musical. You don't. You don't interrupt like a huge romantic ballad like that. Like this. 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 This movie isn't trying to be subversive in any sure. way. So yeah, or, something or, like that's just not going to fly. Or you shoot it where you're doing all these, you know, lovely camera movements around the two of them, and you see the phantom blurry in the background behind a statue. Yeah. 
Right, you, you do something interesting with the framing. You right. don't literally just put the camera in his face. You don't just cut away to... Do you remember the Phantom of the Opera? He's still in the movie, kids! Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot for a character who's supposed to be cloaked in mystery. Yeah. And talking, right. I mean, I think, I imagine that that is a lot more of what the show is, mm-hmm. again, having no experience, so maybe we're entirely wrong about this. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the time when you do see him, you know, kind of earlier on, it's where we're getting these shots of like, oh, he's he's walking around the crowd. There he is. That's the Phantom right there. Yeah, Look at that. Yeah. We're just, the movie wants you to notice him as opposed to like a guy who's like right. on the edges, you know, kind of mm-hmm. flitting through. Who, like who, I, I know who? in the, uh, I believe in the finale, doesn't he much more secretly replace Pyongi? Yes. Pyongi. Yeah, oh, in, in this movie, it makes absolutely yes. no sense. And this that just... scene does not make sense. And he's like, I am the Phantom and I am attacking you. Well, and, and, like... and during Masquerade, when he comes out, the Why So Silent part, mm-hmm. I re- believe I remember in the musical there being these like flashbangs where you see the Phantom. It's obviously multiple actors at different points in the stage, mm-hmm. but it's time so it looks like he's teleporting uh, around the stage uh, before he disappears as opposed to, I went through a hole in the floor. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so they're they're removing the 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 pseudo mystical aspects yes. of the character of like, is he supernatural? Yeah. Is he yeah. is he is he kind of a ghost or what is he? So they're removing that, but then they're not changing the scene structure yeah. at all. That makes no sense. <laughs> this is the part of adaptation. If you are going to change something, you need to make sure everything else that 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 could affect mm. is changed along with it. Yeah. God, that's that's obnoxious. Um, I guess in terms of a worse thing, I, I, there, there were a lot of things that that I, I could think of. I think the the biggest thing, and I think the biggest flaw for this movie is that it's just boring mm-hmm. for me. Um, it's nearly two and a half hours. I stopped with like forty five minutes left, and it wasn't just oh I'm tired, I need to go to bed, I've got work the next day, whatever. It was I'm bored. I want to come back to this with fresh eyes. I'm turning this off. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's ever a good sign when that's <laughs> your rationale for stopping a movie. Um, I don't know. Like, and, and here's the thing. Like, when I'm thinking of a musical and I'm going, well, I'm not expecting the most fleshed out of characters. Sure. I'm not expecting the greatest story because it's mostly about musicals or musical numbers. They're meant to entertain you. Um, that's kind of how I'm thinking about like with romance or not romance with comedy or with horror it's like does it hit that emotion does it scare you does it make you laugh and I feel like that the same way with musicals where it's like do you like the songs I like some of the songs fine but I think if you're gonna have like this hollow of plot and this hollow of characters you really need to make sure those musical numbers and like the pageantry and everything and the choreography the special effect all of that needs to be top notch and a lot of it felt flat for me. Well, and a so. lot of, and I mean, obviously, there are plenty of musicals where the characters are very rich and there are mm-hmm. very are profound. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Like with comedy, yeah, and, and, I, and I don't want to be fair, or I, I don't want to be unfair <laughs> to musicals. Fair. Yeah, because I mean, the, I, I, I don't want to be fair. The Alex story. There, yeah. <laughs> there are definitely musicals that are just about razzle dazzle it's just the musical mm-hmm. that's why you go it's the pageantry and usually those are the jukebox shows and stuff mm-hmm. and that's what a lot mm-hmm. of people have accused Angel Lloyd Webber shows of being some of which that's absolutely accurate <laughs> well I was gonna ask some of which is, is that have you heard of case? our Lord and Savior cats <laughs> I mean <laughs> I, was, I was going to ask is that the case with the actual fandom of the opera musical 
Or is there more to it character-wise and story-wise that uh, I'm just not, not getting from well, the Well, I think... Not really. I, th- I think there is an element of... I mean, ha- again... Maybe maybe in the way that the story is... The information is presented I to you. I think just okay. because of the fact that, yes, it's it's a visual... The visual difference in terms of it being on the stage versus, uh, right. you know, watching it from... Um, in, in, in the way this movie is shot and everything, like, I think there is probably just an element of where, like... Because it's it, it is a sync through, correct? I... Uh, there is some some dialogue, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, um, but I think generally, like if you listen to the album, I want to say there's dialogue a little bit, like that covers. Like, yeah, I want to say it actually yeah. gets. But you can get most of the show in like they don't. Some cast albums you only hear the songs, right. you don't get anything. Right. But so what I'm yeah. saying is I don't think there's a whole lot that's missing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like what's in the movie versus what's on the play, no, I would no, just expect the, that the it's such accurate. a different experience in terms of you know kind of what comes across when you're getting it through that medium yeah like I, I feel like that's probably just such i mean it's the same way that like you can you can have a i mean obviously like you've got shakespeare who writes you know is considered one of the greatest if not yeah. the greatest storyteller of of the modern world i guess modern quote-unquote like yeah you know since sort of civilization as we know it like um and like the, you, you basically people will like adapt his plays into movies that fall very flat yeah. because it's literally just like there's something much more exciting and I, and in general I think that probably the biggest thing that would be missing is the fact that it's live actors live performances mm-hmm. um, that, I think that, that's a huge thing yes I think there's something about that where you're kind of really getting into the fact that like you're you're simul- I feel like we talked about this a little bit on the musicals episode, but you're simultaneously getting faced with the fact that this is so fake. Yeah, like it's so we obvious this, that yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm literally like I'm sitting I'm sitting here on a stage and I'm watching these people pretend to be something yeah. that is clearly not happening with like these very basic sets and everything. Yeah. If you're in the front row, you are within touching distance practically. Yes, yes. and like I'm I'm having to completely immerse myself in this experience versus watching a movie where the movie is very much like we want you to feel like this is real right. <clears throat> so we're going to you know film this in a way where it's real i think that's just such a big difference yeah um which that I, would be and, my and, and i don't know maybe maybe i would watch the musical and be like this is incredibly boring but well and that's also part of the good theater you forget about that and you do get drawn into it and you do you know forget where you yeah. are it asks, and which is true of movies too. it immediately asks for a higher suspension of disbelief and right. therefore i feel like it's probably you get that much more into it when you're committing that hard to yes. like buying the, the the story. You you have a lowered. You are more willing, I think, to suspend your disbelief in a theater, right? Because you want, like you said, you understand. Like, I know this is. I know it's. I know it's fake anyway. When in a movie, but like, I really know it's fake in a theater. So right. like, I'm willing to give you that right. room. And and that is the the hardest thing about transposing from stage to screen, whether it's a straight play, a musical, or whatever is about you are now even if you keep the script word for word the same you're you're telling the story so differently presenting the information differently or staging everything in the musical and again i don't know if this is how they do it you can have raul and christine next to each other so often Mm. if if it's like a big group scene and everybody's on stage together but the focus is on andre and firmin or it's on Mm -hmm. carlotta or whatever you can just have uh you can just block uh 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 
Raul and Christina to go hang out in the corner and talk. So then even if that's not the focus, the audience realizes, like, oh, they're really drawn to each yeah. other. Like, they're, yeah. they're subconsciously, you're going, oh, <clears throat> even, like, when, when the scene's not focused on yes. them, they're still spending time yes. with each other. Yeah, and you can still catch that. And when in a movie you have to choose so carefully what information are we giving you at any given moment, which is a different kind of challenge, you have to remember, like, okay, well, the... The script doesn't have them talking to each other, so should we find a way to show? Like, how do you want to create that? So I don't. This movie is very, very accurate to the musical, uh, which is something that okay. I really liked about it. But I think, as far as character and everything, it might be presented better in the stage version, just because of the, the way you present information in the play. But right. this is not, quote unquote. I mean, this is great theater in a spectacle way. You know okay, what I mean? This sure. is this is not like layered <laughs> profound story. these are not rich interesting characters right. these are rich interesting songs these are vocally these are mountains to climb and great achievements to sing music of the night and all this right. it's not and it's right. also I think more of sort of a metatextual you know sort of evaluation of the theater sure <laughs> like it, ways, it, yeah. it gets more into like I think that's where a lot of the the meat that gets lost from this would be would be in the the fact that like it's a movie about an opera uh, or about some people trying to put on an opera in an yeah. opera theater and they actually put on like a, another or multiple shows within this and one of the shows is about the phantom yeah. trying to make a show about himself to get to fall in love with the main character like yeah it, it's this whole this whole thing that i think is probably a lot more of where the the brilliance of it comes in in terms of storytelling um that again it's not really. It's very muddled. Not really there when you're when you're talking about yeah. a film. Whereas in a musical, you're already in a theater. Yes, you're already exactly. in this thing yeah. with all these beautiful sconces and everything, and then you are now presented with. So when the Phantom of the Opera comes out to address the opera audience, he's addressing you, right? Which is very interesting. And like right. it, it, yeah, it, it it plays that really nicely. I would agree. Okay. There is also another element of disconnect here, uh, which is the. Uh, you, you said, Britain, these are all pre-recorded performances, if yes. I'm understanding correctly? They they sang live. Or excuse me, they sang... They did they, not sing live. They did not sing live, excuse me. Yeah, they did. Which... To my knowledge. That's another thing we'll have to talk about, because... To, to, and also, to my knowledge, Les Miserables is the only movie that does live singing. Okay. I mean, maybe one little bit here and there they might have sung. Sure. But generally speaking, they play the recording over it. Gotcha. Interestingly, okay. I think it was in Jesus Christ Superstar, the Norman Jewison movie... They got me into all this trouble in the first place. I think that the actors, <laughs> at least Carl Anderson, I think, who played Judas, did actually sing on set. Right. But they played it. They used the pre-recorded for the movie. Right. But I think he sang on set just to make sure his rhythm was right. And that's exactly what I would expect them to do most of the time. It's like, yeah. oh, you would, you would just sing, and then like they could they could make that clear. Oh, uh, hey, you know how this is a musical that we already have music for? Here's my CD player. All right, what track are we on? <laughs> Six. Yeah. And yeah. play, and that Carl Anderson would sing along, so that, and also then when you were watching, like his mouth movements matched up perfectly, exactly. and not only in terms of he was forming the right words, but like shaping them yeah. properly and everything. So you never, even though you knew it was pre-recorded, you never really thought about it. Right, you were like, oh, he's just singing, and I can and, hear it clearly. And I, I guess I don't. I mean, if this is the thing that every musical movie, yeah, does, this is what musical. I mean, then, to my knowledge, yeah, then fine <laughs> but <Right. laughs> but I think it does suffer a lot with this one specifically where you do get a lot of people I mean again like we we talked about Les Rob a bit and, and how that has some problems yeah. with the way it presents this these things but 
that was never really a problem I had with Les Miserables because it was like, oh, these, these people are singing. Yeah. <laughs> and and that specifically is another one where there's a lot of belting and there's a yeah. lot of like very strong, powerful performances in terms of like what how you're trying to sing. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is like operatic. Sure, sure. Uh, so it's kind of like that's something that I think gets really lost when you don't do that in something like this. Um, I, I think the bigger issue for me was that the lip syncing is off. Yes. Like... And everyone did their I own. noticed it quite a bit. <laughs> everyone except Carlotta did their own singing. And no shit, I'm any driver. It's and way funnier to Which have. is great because the first thing I noticed uh, about like some of the ADR type stuff was mm-hmm. was dialogue with her that yeah, was ADR yeah, yeah. and not instead of singing. So it's like even though she sings her, you know. There's some weird well. stuff there. But like Christine specifically, Enemy Rossum was 16 when she made this movie. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah. How uh, old was Patrick Wilson and Gerard Butler? 30 and. 32 or something Amazing. like that yeah that's weird Hollywood or maybe she was but then again no, there's, there's a whole weird aspect to this plot of her sure. thinking that the Phantom could be her dad sure. and yeah, then sure. like I don't know that that's well and also she might funky. Maybe, or I may have misread she might have been 16 when she got cast and was like 17 or 18 right. when they filmed it very much better yeah exactly it doesn't <laughs> fix things but there's also a lot of her wearing very cleavy dresses yes there, think, there's like when she goes to the graveyard and but she's still very like oh but everyone has to see them <laughs> she <laughs> like, also dude is, yeah she's wearing like a dress that is basically see-through yeah, yeah. At, at one point like from the the waist down yeah uh when she goes to see the phantom for the first time it's like yep. this is a lot Tyler, of it's fun. fine joel schumacher sexualizes everyone that's fine very true they do do a nice bit where where uh the phantom when he's in disguise during the musical or during the opera or whatever his hand is like Yes. he's like she's in total rapture and his hand is moving up her except his hand is on top of her hands so when it goes over her yes. chest her hand is on her yes. chest not his and his fingers were like stretched <laughs> I noticed out that so very I was clearly like, and I was like ah uh, okay, okay. okay. alright okay, okay. Um, <laughs> got my eye on you but Amy Rossum who well, there, there's literally during wishing somehow uh, wishing you were somehow here again she her mouth doesn't move no. it's like she's going wishing you were somehow no. here again now obviously She's singing it beautifully, and she's singing it properly. But on set, she's just kind of like she was talking it, yeah. which I understand not wanting to like do a full. But you can. It you, felt you can very much a little bit better to me. Like they thought that they were going to be able to lay it over so well that it would be like a oh, this is a really sort of intimate performance in terms sure. of like she's she's not very like. Every time she sings, she is speaking from the heart. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Where it's like, it's not super, like, overacting or anything like that. Right, like, right, I, right. I feel like they thought they could kind of just, like, slide it in. Yeah. And, and, and to have a more naturalistic approach to a very, a literally operatic performance. Yes. But she went so far that direction yes. to where it was like she was mumbling. It looked, there, which created this weird disconnect where I was like, do I think she's not doing as good of a job with the music because it looks like she's mumbling, even though she's totally not? Mm-hmm. So if I just listen to her, if I just listen to track, will I be a lot more impressed with her voice? And I was. Yeah. But during the movie, I was like, I don't think you're. No, because you're just not moving yeah. your mouth very much. And there, there's Patrick a couple Wilson of similarly. And I think yeah. part of this came from Jar Butler, who is obviously not a singer. We'll get. We will get to Butler, but <laughs> he. I don't know if he's really familiar with musicals. Patrick Wilson has done musicals. Had already done two musicals right. on Broadway when he did the show, at least. Probably more. Probably. And he was in the Alamo the year before. He was. And <laughs> the world's greatest musical. He had already done all this stuff. So for him, he might have just been like... the fiddle. Let's get stuff. 
he might have just gone into this movie like, oh, I'm not used to lip syncing my voice. You know, I'm not used to not singing it. Like, I remember seeing Bernadette Peters in Cinderella, and her lip syncing was weird. And I was like, oh, because she's not used to lip syncing. She's yep. used to just singing it. So yep. maybe that was it. Yeah. But yeah, there's there, there's some weird, like, disconnects. Yeah. Especially with some of the songs that aren't, like, Andre and Fermat have a lot of songs that are just, like, they can talk sing them a little yep. bit. So they can perform yep. them better. So I understand syncing that up, yep. where you're like... I'm also having to catch an emotion, which not is, just I a think, note. generally why you see. Like, I feel like that's why it's generally a thing in musicals that you don't musical movies. Why why you wouldn't sing it live is because like, oh, you know, there's a lot of motion and like, yeah, yeah. That, you know, you're trying to um, you, you capture it perfectly on tape. Yes, and then you perform and it, and then on it's set. less noticeable because it's like, oh, this is sort of like enveloping like you've got the music happening mm-hmm. attached with this as opposed to necessarily like focusing on individual people whereas in in this there's so much like focusing on one person just standing there and singing yeah. and it's like that's our entire focus you've got to do a better job you gotta of hiding. it up a little yeah, bit yeah. yeah and in a theater um, when you're surrounded by when their voice is filling the theater and they're singing their heart out right. and it's a sumptuous thing and, and, and all of it is right and it's you're yeah. really it's still piped through speakers but you're hearing it for real then you can totally just sit and watch somebody sing because right. oh my goodness like it's amazing but then in a movie you're like you can still you can still make a monologue there's like a scene in uh Ides of March which is an okay movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman has a monologue and the camera's just on him for the most part mm. but he's acting because he's a brilliant actor and I miss him very much he's amazing right. but it's not this con- it's not, they don't do all these crazy things he's just doing such a good job with it so in a musical you need to like you still need to perform it, even though you've yes. already sang it. You still yes. need to perform it, even if you're not singing. And there, it. there's also a couple of moments where I know uh, Emily Ross in, in particular is just like not singing, sure. like that, like actually, like she's she's not moving her mouth. Like it's yeah, a stylistic yeah. choice that it gets even more distracting. It's like you are you're already towing the line with a lot of this, and now you've got a shot where she's just literally sitting there staring. It's it's I think when she's staring at the mirror, mm-hmm. looking at the Phantom, and you're playing the music. And she's not doing anything, so it's like what? Yeah, and, and they're not clear enough with it. It's very... like why did we transition to this? What's happening? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little weird. I agree. So that's Alex's best and worst thing. So mine, we have now <laughs> broken the record. It took us almost an hour. Correct. Uh, so I like this movie for the most part because I came at it from a very different perspective of how do they do adapting a musical? And Phantom is not a musical that I'm. I'm really not that. I don't have a personal attachment to it, right? But I found watching this that I liked it more than I realized. I think just because of just from a very like superficial, I like the music. Mm. This is good song, <laughs> done well. But uh, for me, I'm going to say my 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 best thing is going to be, and I, I I could have several things that I could pick for each. My best thing is I'm going to say just the visual element. I think this movie mm. looks great. It was nominated for cinematography and art direction. I think both were deserved. I loved just looking at the theater and all the sets they had designed. I thought the cemetery was really beautiful. I thought the costumes were great. Uh, you mentioned the opening. I love that they shot it like an old silent movie. Mm-hmm. And then, like we said, the way it flows into color is really beautiful. I thought it was a great-looking movie. I just liked being in that world. Yeah. Um, just strictly visually speaking. Which Joel Schumacher has done. He's His Batman movies have some great production design. Like He's clearly a, a he has an eye, an eye for that. My worst thing is going to be, well, one of my worst, my main worst thing is, interestingly, and this is maybe not as bad as I will make it sound, 
the overall cast is not suited to the music. Sure. No one in the cast, with ex- maybe two exceptions, can re- can really do it. Uh, obviously, Jar Butler. That's yeah, obviously. Right. Um, but also, as far as the singing goes, he. I mean, for one, we've talked about his age and everything. Yeah. But um, I feel like you can also kind of get away with him being more of like a not polished singer because of the fact that like somewhat. I mean, obviously, in the musical. You usually he is the best singer on the yeah. in the cast, but um, and I feel like as far as a character perspective, you can be like, oh well, he's you know he's twisted and, and burned yeah, and everything, yeah, and like yeah. he's he's supposed to be an old man, which right, and you know usually would would help things, yeah, or an older man, and yeah. so like you can kind of get away with him being grovelly and like you know not not quite to a degree, yes. I really didn't didn't hate him that much in this, but yeah, but uh, even like Miranda Richardson who played Madame Giri. Great acting job. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. was. She had a great presence, great steely dismissal yes. of everybody. Not a great singer. Which Madame Jury is not a difficult part to sing, but still. True. Uh, we mentioned Andre and Fermat, Kieran Hines, and the great Simon Callow. Kieran Hines, not a great singer. Didn't handle his. I mean, he sounded fine. I thought Simon Callow did a great job. For our people, anyone at home, uh, Kieran Hines played the one whose hair goes up like a pompadour. <laughs> Simon Callow played the one whose hair goes out like an Einstein. Sure. True. And. Uh, and Simon Callow, I think, could sing the part on Broadway. I think he has done musicals on Broadway. Mm. Um, as you will note in the uh, note in the masquerade bit, where there all the the theater people are coming out and what a night, what a crowd makes you glad, makes you proud, all that stuff. There's a bit where Simon Callow goes, "Of Elysian peace." In the musical, that's a harmony between him and uh, Kieran mm-hmm. Hines' character. But in the movie, they just had him do it because <laughs> Kieran Hines <laughs> wouldn't didn't have it, um, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, Minnie Driver obviously didn't do her own singing. No big deal. Meg, I don't know. I just, during the masquerade ball, I was like, Meg, don't take a deep breath, hon, because that dress is just barely hanging on. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, sorry. And then uh, even, even Emmy, I, I think Emmy Rossum can sing it. Any degree to which she can't sing it is probably from being 16. Right. But I think largely she sounded great. Mm-hmm. She has a, a little some odd phrasings here and there. Uh, and even Patrick Wilson, who I love... He, his voice, he can sing Raoul. His voice just isn't quite right. Raoul is usually played by actors who haven't played the Phantom yet. There's a, a <laughs> lot of people have played the Phantom and Raoul. They kind of hop back and forth. But he's all, like Steve Barton, who originated the role, at least on, maybe in London, but definitely on Broadway, had a... Wait, has, are, are you saying that Patrick Wilson has played the Phantom? No, no, no. I'm saying usually the, the Raoul is played by somebody who has also played the Phantom. Or who Because now I'm just – I'm imagining it. this movie, but Patrick Wilson is playing both roles, and that sounds – You're not wrong. Immensely better. Yeah, There's some stuff there. You know? When he uh, – Patrick Wilson has a great voice, but his voice is a little thinner. Mm-hmm. The Yeah. He, I've heard him in two musicals. He also did Oklahoma. But the musicals I've heard him in were The Full Monty and Bright Lights, Big City. Bright Lights, Big City – Amazing album! It's so phenomenal. He's, a, I mean, it's a really, really great album. Uh, and those are rock shows. He has like a rock voice. Steve Barton had this richer, fuller kind of baritone voice, and I think Raoul has a little more of that, that sort of fullness to his voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wilson's is a little thinner, um, which Wilson is still easily one of the best singers in the movie. So yeah. like, no shade. Yeah. I think he also just like visually pulls that off yes. like he makes it all kind of come together he, he he's knows, rocking that hairstyle oh you know? man I, I don't know how he knows he knows how to 
film act and also be in a musical simultaneously. Because I am not a fan of this, oh, it's a musical. No matter what it is, everything I do has to be over and crazy exaggerated and... I, it completely Remember everyone, it's the musical! Yeah, like, I don't think that's a, a fair way to approach... I, I don't like the idea that because it's a musical, no matter what it is, you have to do it a certain way. Because, right. come on. But he knew how to... I'm in a movie, I'm not going to do all the exaggerated stuff, but also I'm doing a musical. He knew how to, how to have that balance. Um, the thing about Gerard Butler is, obviously, he's not a singer. <laughs> and we all know that. All right, all right, everyone, sit down, put your thinking caps <laughs> on. Right. It's time to talk Gerard to Butler. Flip my cap... Turn my mask backwards so you know I'm cool. Turn turn the chair around. We got to talk to the kids. We got to we got to we got to <laughs> tell them how it is. <laughs> Here's the thing about the Phantom. The, the the Phantom is because the show takes a more romantic tone overall. The Phantom he is a, a, a horror character to a degree, and you can certainly you you should play that up to a degree. I think that the stage version balances that nicely, where he is, if nothing else, intimidating. And we talked right. about how you can play a lot more with him being in the shadows and being behind something, and the timing of when he actually appears is a lot better and smarter uh, and more sparingly used. Um, the thing about the Phantom is he is supposed to be incredibly seductive. Um, he is supposed to be a, like literally an angel of music. And the guy who originated the role on Broadway, Michael Crawford, who kind of looked like Regis Philbin. Um, so <laughs> incredibly imagine, seductive. I'm just saying... So Christine, you doing? So Christine, you're in the musical. I want I want you to be in my musical and also my bride. Anyway, Raoul's great. We wish him all the best. Come on out here, Gelman. <laughs> I would actually love to see Regis as the Phantom. Nighttime, it sharpens, it heightens each sensation. It's crazy. You get the music of the night and you're having a big time. Anyway, Joy and I were talking the other day. Let's play. Who wants to be an opera singer? <laughs> Carlotta, it's not you. Was that your final note? I think it is. <laughs> um, Conan, real quick side note Conan O'Brien wants to a bit where some like d- body got dumped in a dumpster and the, the camera was up the dumpster and it was Regis and he goes Regis did this and he shuts the dumpster <laughs> <laughs> and Regis did this is so good one of my favorite bits um, from, from How I Met Your Mother uh, mm-hmm. is there, there's an episode where Regis Philbin has a, a cameo <laughs> It's really, I mean, he's in it like a, a, he's a guest star, I guess. Um, And the the plot of the episode is that uh, (laughs) they determine that there is this, I forget how they like get in contact with Regis Philbin about this. Oh, no, no, I think it's because um, they they go to this, there's this burger restaurant Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, is is one of the main character's favorite restaurants. uh, And, or, or, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I've, I've completely butchered this uh, this retelling. I'm going to get it right. <laughs> We're going to start over here. Um, he, uh, they, they, they're like first week in New York, they found this like amazing burger place. And they remember mm-hmm. there being a picture of Regis Philbin having eaten there. Yeah. And then they can never find it again. And they finally like figure out where it was. And so they try to go back to it and they learn that it's been moved and some somewhere along the way, I think like Barney Neil Patrick Harris's character contacts Regis Philbin um, because like somehow he has connections to him or something, and to be like, hey, wait, you know, do you know where this this thing is? And he's like, I've been looking for that for years. <laughs> and like he's so he's sort of like following behind them, like trying to to yeah. go to where they are. And at one point, they they realize that it's actually not at this one place; it's at this other place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they call him, and they're like. 
uh, no, it's it's actually at a at 35th and 3rd. And then he's like, 35th and 3rd! And then he smashes a mailbox and like <laughs> does a giant dent in a mailbox. And he's like, ah! <laughs> oh, man. It's just the most random thing. Thank you for tuning in to Regis Fan Den, our Regis Fan Cast. I, I wish. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> so it would bring us a lot of joy. No, uh, but, but Michael Crawford was not... Just to listen to his voice, a very high voice... It was a beautiful voice, but it was not what you would think of as like a sexy thing. But he sang it beautifully, he sang it really well. So you totally buy when you find out, oh, Christine, she has this this teacher, this angel of music who's helping her to make her this amazing singer and like this incredible thing is happening. Then you hear Michael Crawford singing and you're like, okay, I get, I buy that this beautiful voice and this beautiful voice, I get it. You don't have to be a great singer to be a great singing coach, but in the world of the musical... But in this, when you're like, oh, and he's this angel of music, and then Gerard Butler is like, ah, Delilah. It's like, it doesn't really <laughs> line up as well. I do think there are I, some... Britain, I, I think you need to be a bit more aggressive with that. I feel bad. Delilah! <laughs> Delilah. But I think, too, Gerard Butler is someone who I think his, some of, some of the more talk notes, I think he actually does quite well. He's supposed to be very angry. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of works. It's closer to his register. But when you listen to, like, uh, fun fact, the guy who plays Christine's father in this movie, uh, his name is Ramin Karim Lou, uh, he is the go-to phantom nowadays. Hmm. And he has also played Raoul. So he has played all three of Christine's loves. And sure. it was really... I don't think he was doing that at the time when the movie was made. I don't know. But now he, he was Valjean in the 2012 revival on, sure. on Broadway. Um, I think he probably did the 25th anniversary... Uh, what, him and Sierra Bogus as Christine and the Phantom are great. Mm-hmm. They, I really recommend them if you can't hear the original, which you totally can. But <laughs> if you if you listen to that and you want to try something else, try Bog- if you uh, have ever made a deal with uh, the devil uh, <laughs> exactly. that prevented you from <laughs> listening to this, and that was your one sacrifice. You, you got to give up uh, your firstborn child. <laughs> then yes. The yeah. anniversary, <laughs> but 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 I just thought that was interesting that they got this guy who would later become like the goat, the right. resident phantom. Right. But he um he has this incredibly rich, powerful voice and is a very good looking guy. So the the phantom I think needs to be both incredibly sexually overpowering because part of Christine's allure to him is that she is in rapture. She is just completely overcome. It's that whole bodice ripping idea, but that also he is very musically talented. And when you get these Broadway-caliber performers with these rich voices, even if they're not great-looking guys, you're like, no, that voice is... When I saw Love Never Dies, the woman with whom I saw it leaned over and said, can I just have babies with his voice? And I was like, I have a lot of feelings about that and what I'm seeing. And this is a start to a very strange evening. Um, Spoiler alert, the Phantoms and Love Never Dies. But... uh, it's 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 a it's a hard needle what? to thread. Where I and I think that that's they went with Jar Butler because this idea that Jar Butler is very sexy, and I'm not someone who's attracted to guys, but I can totally understand why certain men are found or universally found sexy or largely universally found sexy. Like I get why Roger like Roger Moore is so charming. I totally get it, ladies. Come on, are you kidding me? Come on, he's a doll. Hey, oh, hey, whoa. <laughs> But Regis Philbin? Regis Philbin talking about the... <laughs> the welcome back to Regis Philbin's Top 10 Hunks. 
<laughs> number one, Regis Philbin. <laughs> number one, obviously. Number nine. Well, number ten. Well, uh, number ten, Chris Hemsworth. Come on, have you seen him? Even with the gut, how do you not want to just wrap your arms around him? Number nine, gotta be Bradley Cooper. Oh my God, what a minch! I don't think Regis is Jewish. <laughs> number eight, Jerry Butler. Oh boy, he looks like the kind of guy he'd slam a <laughs> slam a beer down on the table, and I would go, "Hey, me next." <laughs> You gotta keep going. Um, go going me. Number seven, Idris Elba. <laughs> Talk about a dark tower. <laughs> As you were saying it, you were immediately oh regretting it. That's what sold it. Uh, well, at least I didn't. I haven't started trying to be an actor yet, so I can't. I don't have a career to lose yet. Finish it. Number six. <laughs> Number six, Tim Allen. Who doesn't love a bad boy? Number five. <laughs> it's going to be just like... I'd love to spend Christmas with that crank. Anyway. <laughs> increasing amounts of pausing between each. It's going to take two hours to get to. <laughs> I've only got four to go. I can do it. Um... Number five, John Krasinski. Oh, when he turns to look at the camera, ho, oh boy, shudders down my whole spine. And I'm only like 5'2", maybe. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> Hank Hill. Look, I know he's a cartoon, but he's a man around the house. He dresses simply. You know what he likes. Number three. <laughs> Spencer Tracy. Number two. <laughs> which, right. which I should note is, is second only to me Regis Philbin the number one hunk so, so the second hunk to Regis Philbin is we're just, we're just still going here <laughs> thanks Phil Collins on my uh, uh, building up all the tension for my number two reveal, the number two hunk <laughs> next to Regis Philbin <laughs> is, uh, is funny man Harvey Corman from the Carol Burnett Show. Oh, boy. Look, I love a man who can make me laugh, and we all know Tim Conway would never go for me. All right, we'll see you guys next week. I'm sweating. I'm sweating in anticipation. Hey, Hollywood, if you hear this in the future, I'm really sorry. Really, I was paying you all of you a compliment. Um, what point was I making about the Phantom being sexy? The Phantom is okay. You said that you could see how pe how yes. women in particular would find Gerard Butler physically appealing. Absolutely, but the thing about Gerard Butler's particular sexual appeal is that it is a very workman, brash, gnashing man's man kind of thing. You know, he's a very hirsute fellow. He's a big beefy guy. The Phantom is a more... He's drinking beer with the boys and throwing a football in the backyard yeah, exactly. on a Sunday. Yeah, or a soccer ball. Um, you can't throw a soccer ball. Throw a, yeah. Oh, he can. He doesn't care about the rules. That's what makes him so alluring. <laughs> <laughs> Gerard Butler throws yes. a soccer ball like an American football. Yeah, That's exactly. just how he does it. No, I was, I was thinking <laughs> he, it's the, the graveyard scene, but but he instead of like throwing fireballs, he just soccer ball. Soccer <laughs> 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 that would be great. <laughs> Um, but he, <laughs> but but I think what that's not really the type of sexuality the fan needs to have. And to your point, Tyler, about that having that roughness to his voice, 
I think can work, and there are a lot of there's a, a it helps if you have a great singing voice and you, and you do sing. that on purpose. And the person who can do that, and I'm actually now would really love for him to be the fandom. There's a Canadian, uh, French Canadian singer named Garou, G A R O U. I first heard of him, funny enough, in a musical version of a Hunchback of Notre Dame called Notre Dame de Paris. Hmm. It's probably not a great show, but the songs are really wonderful. And Garou has the graveliest voice. Hmm. Like it's like Tom Waits if Tom Waits was also like a Broadway singer, <laughs> okay. Because he also has this amazing range and he has all this gravel and all these rocks in his voice, but he hits these beautiful notes and it's he sings "You Can Leave Your Hat On" and even I'm like, okay, even Regis, why didn't I say Guru? Oh my goodness, you. you uh, well, I was keeping it uh, fa- famous uh, hat taker offer. Just can't keep a hat on your head to save your life. <laughs> That's true. One gets near me, ho, dodging them left and right. I went to a bar mitzvah. It was crazy. I feel like you're starting to merge Regis Philman with William Shatner. There's a little William Shatner in there. There's a little bit of how I've been re-watching season two of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. There's a little Kevin Pollack in there. Um, God Lord. But uh, but he... But the, I, oh, God. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, th- this podcast has been completely derailed, yeah. and I'm happy about it. I have, I, I've done it to myself. I usually do it to <laughs> you guys. This is, this is my retribution. Britain is the phantom of the podcast. <laughs> I, I kind of am. I'm always messing things up. And... Smashing the, the chandelier of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. But I, I think that was kind of where they went wrong here, is that they got a guy who had a very specific type of sexuality. It's not suited to the Phantom. His voice isn't suited to that type of sexuality mm-hmm. in musical form. And I think that... I, I've said this about Russell Crowe, that I think if they had done Les Miserables as a straight movie, if it was not a musical, he would have been a great Javert. Mm-hmm. I wonder about Jar Butler as a Phantom anyway. And I, I made some jokes about Jar Butler. Really and truly, I haven't seen him in that many movies. Like, I And he mostly does action movies. So I don't know what he'd be like in a... like. A, a, a role that really demanded a lot of acting from him. I love his performance in How to Train Your Dragon, genuinely, and I, I think he's wonderful in those movies. So, but I, he doesn't. I feel get, often get the chance to act. You know, he does like these kind of uh, yeah, dismissive rom coms. He's like, you know, gamer or whatever. And and I and I would like to see him in other kind of things to, to see what he can do. And I. I think it was just miscasting, but I do wonder what the idea was because apparently some of the other people they were considering for this uh, was like Antonio Banderas, who there's your Phantom right there, done, set. Antonio Banderas is a Phantom. You're you're good. Um, yep. Or I think Heath Ledger was considered hmm. at one point, which not quite. John Travolta, no. <laughs> or can you, yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, Matt, Matthew McConaughey was one. Can you imagine? <laughs> wait! 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 Hold on, hold Apparently, on. Which, would they have let him keep his accent? According to I the so. apocryphal IMDb trivia. Now, listen, here's the thing about music of the night. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it heightens each sensation. Oh, man. Now, now Christine, I'm going to take you down to my man cave. I'm going to get on my horse. Now we know where the horse came, came from. Gonna... That, was, that was a leftover from when the script was written <laughs> exactly. for Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> and we're going to shit down and we're going to have a... Have a Nice glass of wine, a lot of candles. Have, there's a chance I might take my shirt off. <laughs> and now there will be a war upon you both. <laughs> I can't remember who the... Oh, Meatloaf was the other one, which would have been great. Can you imagine Meatloaf? Is, is that a joke? 
<laughs> well, I'll, oh, I'll tell you why. Because apparently the film rights were secured in the 80s. Like, very soon after it opened. Okay. And I think Weber and Schumacher had talked about Schumacher making the movie, like, in 89 or 90. Hmm. So, like, they had, this has been a long gestating project. So some of that, like, Meatloaf might have been around the, in the 80s when he was making, you know, these st- now stereotypical music videos. And I'd have been like, oh, what about Meatloaf? I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking about the test footage of Matthew McConaughey. Just, like, <laughs> they cannot get him to sing. Like, just nah. no matter what. <laughs> it's just like, hey, hey. Nah, look, look, I'll be your I, angel music. I don't do that all day. I think you're the deceiving Delilah. Right. Ma- Matthew, I don't think you understand. Like a part of it is supposed to be a seductive voice. You know, you 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 bring you you really bring Christine in with with just the sound of your no, voice I'm, and your I'm, singing. I'm gonna go make Failure the launch. Hey, here's a here, here's something that'll give Alex a headache. Apparently, Hugh Jackman. There's a point in this production where the parts were going to be Anne Hathaway and Hugh Jackman. Hmm. Sounds pretty good. And Hathaway has... If it, if it were the two of them and Patrick Wilson, I Oh, did. man. Although, I mean, I like Emmy no, Rossum. Emmy Rossum's great in this. Like, that is not a dig on Emmy Rossum. Anne Hathaway right. also would have been very good. Right. Right. Uh, it would have... But Anne Hathaway couldn't because she had to do Princess Diaries 2. Mm-hmm. And Hugh Jackman couldn't. Guys, he had to make Van Helsing. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Speaking of Halloween, I think that's a win for everyone. <laughs> So yeah, it, it, I, I that that I understand how everybody in this movie got cast. I wonder about and honestly, with the Phantom, you could have just gotten a no name. How Gerard Butler three hundred hadn't come out at this point, right? No, I believe it was the year after. Yeah, this. so he wasn't like a big name, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like they went, oh, but we have the Gerard Butler pull. It's like I don't know why they right. would have just gotten one of these Broadway people. I mean, we're all you're, you said Phantom of the Opera. We're gonna buy a ticket. Like we're already here. Right. The show was almost 20 years old at that point. Um, right. And right. I know that because the show is only a few months older than I am. <laughs> sure. My only, my only thought on this is, Olympus has fallen. <laughs> Where did it go? Uh, it's around here somewhere. <laughs> How much yeah. better would those be if they were musicals, though? Um, just think about it. Pretty great, I think. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them. Me neither. You know, making action things into musicals tend to work out. <laughs> Can you actually yeah. think of an example? You, of you this? haven't seen you haven't seen Predator the musical. You haven't seen Spider Man Turn Off the Dark or Cape Man or It's a Bird It's a Plane at Superman. That's a real musical. Now I want to see Predator the musical. Of course okay. you do. Okay. Okay. Can I have that? Could you imagine somebody trying to do an Arnold impression while they're singing? Oh wait, Britain's already done that in this podcast. <laughs> Cast Britain for it. This is me screaming. I can't listen to it anymore. It hurts my ears. Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Phantom, not my Phantom. <laughs> Gerard Butler, not my Phantom. So the say. nighttime and the music and all of these things and the chandelier will drop at the end. No, of the no, no, no. See, see, the problem with uh, Arnold is they can't get him to stop singing. <laughs> <laughs> I would love the Phantom comes out and he is jacked. <laughs> Instead of this like slender, broad-chested he's man, just, he's just he wearing workout clothes. Huge. Like he's, he's like, got, the, like the, the mask is barely covering his face. It's he's just, like an eye patch. Yeah, exactly. He's just like he's actually. I'm looking for Christine Cano. He's actually just cable. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just it's it's a it's a it's a I, I, something I do like about this movie though. I really respect that. Just from a script standpoint, they said, you know what? You saw the musical. Here's a musical as a movie. They don't cut things. They don't add mm-hmm. useless songs for no reason. They I, they I definitely need to, to change the storytelling 
of how they do right. it. But in terms because of... Because adaptation, you're, you're transferring a story from one medium to yes. another. But I feel like... And, and, and some musicals, when they go to the movies, they fix that. West Side Story wisely rearranged two songs to make them actually have dramatic impact, in my opinion. Hmm. Whereas opposed to the show, I think it's a bit silly. But like Into the Woods, they cut so much and it just felt so strange and, and incomplete that way. Um, Nine, they, they did similarly. Like when you... You th- there's a point past which you it's not even the same musical anymore. Right. It's just some of the songs, right? And this I, I like that they just said here's the material. Let's just make let's just film it. But they didn't do a great job of how to tell that same thing. They did make one change where the the chandelier falls at the end of the movie instead of it falls in the middle yes. of the play. And and that was oh. something that even at the time I thought, which is a great act one closer. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh man. But the thing is. In a play, if they drop a chandelier, that's an amazing effect. Yes. In a movie, it's like, yeah, we know. You can drop a chandelier. <laughs> we, you're a movie. Yeah, we, know, we know you can do that. Whereas in a play, you're like, that's amazing. How are they so doing that? Dude, does, <laughs> are you guys seeing this? Does the dude get uh, <laughs> killed and dropped over the... Probably have the, a dummy or something, yeah. Well, I'm saying, does that uh, happen um, at, at that same time? I can't remember. I believe that. it does. Does that happen bef- like right before the chandelier or does that happen at the end of the play or something? I don't remember. I think it happens probably before because the chandelier is at the in the middle of the show in the right. in the play. And that's what I was trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. Later. It might have been just before that because I know that they they do a good job. But I guess maybe that's supposed to be the first moment that's like, oh god, yeah, this guy is a terrible. Yeah, he's a killer. I also there's I think it's yeah. not a huge okay. deal, but in the movie, the act one and act two, obviously they don't have an intermission. They just go they go back. And I don't like that we did the flashback so much. Yes, I liked it at the beginning. I was like, that's okay, we need. we don't need this again. Yeah, we're good. Flash forwards, we should say. Flash forwards, right? But when they do, but in, in the play, there's an intermission. And so when they come back and the theater has reopened, and they're like, oh my goodness, we got it up again. We're, this is working. This is great. In the movie, you're like, you were two minutes ago, you were doing this. But in a play, when the, there's an intermission and the lights come up and you get back into the real world, you can go back into the play mm-hmm. with a time jump and you accept it more easily. Also, you have a program that tells you right. act one this year, act two this year, right. which, you know, whatever. Um, and, the, and they change a lyric in the in the in masquerade where uh in the movie it goes raise a glass or whatever to uh to a prosperous year to our friends who are here and in the play it's to a prosperous year to the new chandelier because they had to get a new chandelier after the phantom broke the first one oh, okay. which is kind of fun because that's everything oh. is yeah so like the theater gets damaged and stuff by all of his kooky antics well at least they didn't miss that. I feel like yeah. that would be an easy detail that they sure. could have just completely sure. forgotten well, about. And, and I feel like they cover it nicely. Like, oh, let's just put the chandelier drop at the end of the movie. Like, yeah. I think that works. And well, that, was... that makes sense. It's supposed to be like the, the full culmination of yes. the, the havoc that the Phantom has been right. wreaking upon yeah. them. And, that makes perfect sense for it to be at the end. And that's a nice idea. And I can't remember how they exactly work it in the play, but it worked fine. Yeah. But also, like, the screenplay is Joel Schumacher and Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I like that, that Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, let's just do the musical. Like, yeah. let's just do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think you don't need to reorder the songs. I think it's, like I said, the way they staged it and the way they filmed it was, it, it nerfed right. a lot of it. Right. Whereas, like... I right. do think the chandelier drop was satisfying. Yeah. Was, it was what I, I... From the moment that, like, I, I was listening to it, and they were like, oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the we're, we're at an auction, and here's the yeah. chandelier. I was like, I, I want to see the chandelier. I want to mm-hmm. see it. I, want, I, need, <laughs> I need to see it. And it was, it was very good. Yeah, and that it then triggers the fire. Yeah, yeah. It's now. all candles, and so it you yeah. know, lights everything. That was very good. It's giant chandelier. It's good stuff. How do you guys think they got that? I like that make a wa- chandelier <laughs> smash. I keep saying it chandelier, and I'm not going to stop. How do you guys think they got that, uh, those, that, those candles to be on fire underwater? 
my guess would be that they're not actually candles, that they're actually just small, like, electrical lights that are just, like, shielded properly from the water. Oh. <laughs> I think it's magic, Britain. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, because the Phantom, he does magic things. <laughs> that, that does lead me into one of my questions, kind of, for you relating to the musical itself. I'll um, allow it. <laughs> I've done such a good job talking so far in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself some credit. I think you've done a better job than you think, okay. other than like a ten minute break from reality. <laughs> I did sort of, it's a, a milky haze. Go on. What is your question? Um so I was kind of unclear throughout a lot of this movie how much of it was supposed to be surreal versus okay. taken literally. Mm-hmm. Because I noticed like particularly when the Phantom is first leading Christine down into to his man cave there's the weird bit where they're walking past all the candles with the hands yeah. and they're moving yeah yeah and then the horse obviously but then nothing <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but then nothing that strange or out of place happens for the rest of the movie yes and I, the whole time i was wondering how much of this is supposed to be like a, a dreamlike fantasy that christine mm-hmm. is having but, but the rest of the movie plays it fairly straight which made it confusing for me when characters were just doing dumb things. Right. Yeah. Like when, yeah, I think when that was Christine just a... realizes when Christine realizes, oh hey, the Phantoms murdered a man. Mm-hmm. I feel like she should immediately be like, okay, I don't trust this guy ever. Yeah. Like never. But he's. I mean, he's sexy. But he's just. He, he's a dream. Boat. He's a real. <laughs> he's an absolute dream. <laughs> he's an absolute dream. No, I think that that is because in the play. Him leading her into the man cave is just him on a boat. Okay, and so I think that was Schumacher's uh. attempt to like spice it up and add more to it. But like you said, it then creates this weird like, wait, are those actual? Why are the? If, if they had just well, I been... wouldn't be questioning it. I wouldn't be questioning that as much if, like you guys are saying, if the Phantom is supposed to be more mysterious and maybe supernatural, right? Like if he had magical powers somehow. That... Yeah, then I wouldn't be questioning it. But the problem is they removed just that element entirely so then i'm going is it is it supposed to be like this is how she's perceiving it but it's not actually how it's happening i don't know which i think is something you could actually communicate the dream like her experiencing a real thing in a dreamlike way in a movie better but here they just kind of made it confusing (laughs) because i mean literally all that literally happens in that he brings her to his his home his lair but Man man cave but the 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 arm holders I don't know. That reminded me of the uh, Cocteau Beauty and the Beast. Sure. Before before then, we get too far away uh, from the reference I just made, why is the sequel uh, called uh, to, spoilers for for the thing we will be talking about at some point in this probably seven hour podcast? Um, that's okay. The, We're having a good time. <laughs> why, why is the sequel to this called Love Never Dies and not called uh, Back to the Phantom? Oh. Parentheses of the opera. Um, I just yeah. feel like... I would, back, back to the Phantom Part 2. Back to the Phantom <laughs> Part 2. <laughs> because An specifically, I want to... And at the very end, it, it has the Back to the Future font that says, To be concluded. You know what they but could then have it's called never it concluded. We never get a sequel. <laughs> Wait, repeat that one more Phantom time? I didn't hear that. Oh my but, god. But specifically, I have this image. I think it would probably be a really good like comic book cover of mm-hmm. the Phantom, like... Trying to get his balance on a hoverboard. <laughs> it's like, oh, 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 that would be good. But he's just like full. It's like the the red costume. Like yeah. it's full on. Like, shall I shall I talk Gee, about Mister, Love Never Dies? You're doing that with no handles. Let's let's hold off on that. Okay. I think we have multiple Love things we want to uh, spend probably another half hour on 
<laughs> okay. the end of this podcast. Here's a question. Um, what did you guys... Alex, what was your favorite song? Well, you said it was all your, I Ask of You, right? Correct. My favorite song in the show might be the, the title number, Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. is great. But I think my favorite it's number... It's very good. Might... Seven. In the movie. <laughs> well, it is the funniest. <laughs> might be Masquerade. Because what's interesting about Phantom of the Opera is it is not a dance show. and one of, So this movie was immediately protected from one of my big criticisms of musical movies, which is you didn't mm-hmm. film the dancing good. But right. there's not dancing in this movie, so it doesn't matter. And they do some nice... Apparently there's a bit where they're going up the stage, or the, the stairs in Masquerade, and a bunch of actors like do a group pose. That's the pose from Cats. So that's like a fun. Oh my reference. god! Yeah. Very it's fun. it's been yeah. it was there the whole time, guys. Yeah, you do realize we're gonna have to do potentially a holiday episode about cats, mm-hmm. right? It comes out in December, and we can all see it together. <laughs> it's very true. Um, I, I'm thinking of another movie that we can just These double are... up, so so we can just like increase the torture as much as possible for all all parties involved. So from cats, to, like what we add to cats. That's so. That's why. I'm, are, are there any other terrible movies that we have? To, if Terminator's bad, we should just do Terminator. I don't care if it's out on DVD or not at that point. <laughs> what, look, the movie can't. It, the movie legally cannot receive an F grade from me because it will feature Mackenzie Davis hitting someone in the face with a sledgehammer. So <laughs> also using chains. Yeah. Almost, see. You know. So like, we're looking at at least a C. I think for me for this one <laughs> for Britain. Um. I, I like I like Masquerade just anyway. I like that song. Um, I think it's. I felt like that in terms of choreography and and like you said, it is because they're actually dancing in that scene. I felt like that was the only musical number where they were really like embracing like, oh, this is like a movie. Let's let's be filmic with it. Because that's and that's a hard thing to do. Which on the one hand, this should be an easier one to film because it's not a lot of crazy dance numbers. Right. But on the other right. hand, maybe maybe that was something Schumacher was like. But these are just they're just talking. How do I make this? bombastic when they're just singing in each other's faces like there's a weird moment when christine and her friend when she's first revealing like oh there's this angel of of music that's been talking to me there's a weird long shot where they're just walking between the curtains and it goes on for like a minute i'm just like that's a boring shot like it's just far away as they're singing to each other no no I, i know what you mean Sorry. A lot of the camera placement felt very strange, but but the masquerade one I thought was fairly well done. Yeah. I, I do like how they, when the Phantom shows up, they do that panning shot, mm-hmm. and then it just goes full Dutch Dutch angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, the Phantom's here. Yeah, I would like to see what Joel Schumacher could do with a more, like, song and dance musical. Mm-hmm. Um, since he seemed to, his directing seemed to come alive a little bit more in Masquerade. If you gave him, like, I don't know what musical specifically, but I'd like to see what he could do with a different kind of musical. Like, another one is just when they're all receiving the notes from the Phantom. Oh, yeah. And they're just, like, in the the front area of the auditorium yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's just very boring. Like, they're just on top of some stairs and they're just walking for a bit. Felt like George Lucas directed it, honestly. <laughs> like, they're just walking for a bit and then just another character walks in. They do some more walking. Another character comes in. Like, it was very boring. Yeah. Like... Which, funny enough, like have fun with the staging. There's a lot of there's a lot of musicals that have songs like that. Stage mm, musicals, right. um, most notably Curtains, a musical I was in. Um, I didn't sing in it uh, for obvious reasons. And then uh, one of my favorite shows, Chess, <laughs> has a song called Quartet, um, which is a, a really lovely uh, song. But again, you find ways to stage it or light it 
you know, and you have these voices and these lyrics that come through really nicely. But in this, it just seemed a little right. frenetic, and like you said, frenetic but also boring. Yeah, and that also that song is on its own is not that interesting. The melody's not that. Oh, I'm I'm not saying it calls for like this uber elaborate. No, no, like of they're course. they're like, they're walking through the a busy street and it's like a single take and there's just tons of people <laughs> in the background. Like I'm not asking no, for no, that, absolutely. but just but you can do something a little more rich with it. Even just like choose a more interesting location. Yeah, I don't know. Like a like a very very weird. like a castle that's being attacked by a dragon. Right. Like it felt like, <laughs> and like I don't want to say like Joel Schumacher was like like bored at any point like while making this movie, but like half of it I got the read of like oh he's in into this like he sure. really wants to be making this movie, and then the other half is just like I feel like I'm just kind of burnt out and tired. Just have him stand there on the stairs well, and just like the say the words. And I'm, I'm sure. I mean, especially if he's been trying to make. There you go. References. I'm sure if he's been trying to make this since the 80s, and like, yeah, I'm sure he right. is a huge fan of the musical. So I, I'm sure there is a lot of pressure felt, maybe like more more than he really needed. To I put mean, on when he's like, working with the guy who made the musical, yes. yeah, like he probably. And I'm sure. Uh, who knows? It could be one of those situations where Andrew Lloyd Webber was a complete control freak, and maybe Joel Schumacher wanted to change some things, and Andrew Lloyd Webber told him, "No, absolutely that sounds not." Sounds like Andrew Lloyd. <laughs> I mean, that could be the case. I don't know. Yeah, me neither. It, it could be similar to Batman and Robin where we have this third party that right. kind of owns the whole enterprise that is forcing Joel Schumacher to execute their vision whether he wants to right. completely or not. I wasn't there. I don't know. I wasn't in the room where it happened. I was, actually. <gasps> I am the Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I was in there. I slept for most of it. <laughs> I, I, was a, I was a small boy. <laughs> I was a child. Um... Oh, let's just see what else can I tell you about myself. <laughs> can I ask another question? Yeah. Um, is the tone as crazy off the wall in the musical as it is in the movie? Because for Not the first like fifteen twenty, well, aside from the the opening flash forwards with old Raoul, when we start old at the Raoul. opera, what? <laughs> correct. Like, I know you guys, like, really like that opening. The whole time I was just like, this feels like Batman and Robin. It feels like we are back in Batman and Robin. Well, I like the way it looked. And yeah, it does look good. And, I mean, Batman and Robin in certain places looks... Sure. Yeah. Looks, it looks expensive. At least. <laughs> um, but the whole time I was just like, this is, like, super over-the-top and ridiculous. Everybody is a cartoon character. And I was trying to rack my brain of, like... I thought, like, Phantom of the Opera, like, Phantom's supposed to be mysterious and scary. Why are we opening this like it's just, like, a light, fluffy comedy, almost? And then, like, there are moments when it gets kind of serious, but then it'll go back to cartoony. It, it's not one of those things where it starts really cartoony and then it just slowly gets more serious. Yeah. I don't know. As I recall, the, the overall tone in the show is a lot more macabre. Okay, and some of that has to do with the fact that you're watching it in a dark theater, and the only light is on the stage, and they can right. control that so much. So when you have the sillier numbers like Prima Donna and everything Carlotta's doing, it's like a break. Which obviously right. Carlotta leaves, and all the silliness stops fairly right. early. But yeah, I remember largely being a more not I don't want to say serious, but like a more um, tonally consistent. Yes, definitely more consistent. As I guess I recall. Okay. Like, did did you guys think the tone was a problem? I found it kind of distracting. Being but a, then again, I, I find that show. distracting. 
I find that distracting in a lot of movies. This so. is also it, it's hard for me to divorce this and just look at it as a movie in it of itself because I I right. am so thickly I know I know the show more and so it's hard for me to not watch this and go how is this as a musical or how is this as an adaptation of the show rather how is this as another version of this this music that I can listen to right as opposed to like how is this as a cinematic experience because um, that that is a I never hear about this movie brought up within like musical theater people. Not that I spend a lot of time around theater people anymore, but I mean, people complain about Gerard Butler, but this isn't like one people talk about a lot. I think because it's like, yeah, it did the thing, and then you know, right. whatever. It didn't like drastically change anything, and largely the cast can—they're not perfect, but they can basically handle it. Again, except for Butler, so like, eh, yeah, no, we. And and the Phantoms is kind of a an interesting show where it's so mainstream that like a lot of theater people are kind of like. Ugh about it which I think is silly oh they get they get hipstery about a it a bit I, so my, my theory about the thing about musicals for me is I think that if you there, there is a group of musicals where that, that have reached a point and this is not speaking against these musicals but it is sort of the musical equivalent of if you meet someone who says oh I'm such a nerd and you go oh what makes you nerdy and they're like oh I love Marvel and Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and Star True. Wars I like those things well so do I and it's like <laughs> Well, those you're not wrong, but those are also like those are the only things I like on this planet. <laughs> but it's like, and even then, half the stuff that comes from them I hate. But what I mean is, those are sure. four very mainstream examples yeah, of a right. very niche thing. Right. right. And Phantom is one of those musicals where it's like, I, I to me that list of musicals is if you met someone who's like, oh, I love musicals, and you, what do you like? And they go, oh, I love the Phantom of the Opera and Mamma Mia and Wicked and The Lion King and Grease and then there's a subset of that, which is Rent, Hamilton, and Les Miserables, <laughs> which I say that's a subset because those those shows I think still have their cred in the theater, even like the like the the niche musical theater right. people. I mean, every show has its detractors, but and that's not to say any of these musicals aren't good or don't deserve to be liked. But it's it's Phantom is such an an easy show to like, and I've known plenty of people in my life who are not musical theater fans, but they love Phantom, and they because it's always touring. It's been on Broadway for my lifetime, and it's just like it's it's a staple of of the genre, and so you know, and it's big song is a duet, so it's very easy to put in mm-hmm. on your award shows or whatever to just have. And also, Phantom of the Opera is a thing. Two people come out, they do the Phantom of the Opera, and they leave. Like it's a very very easy marketable show, and so for them to make a movie is like, yeah, this is going to happen. But since it wasn't like. A complete disaster, nor was it a total masterpiece. Everyone was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> it's 2004. We're all excited about Avenue Q right now. So <laughs> there's a pair of ladies. Also, Van Helsing. Yeah, really. A pair of ladies is ta- are taking the stage in Wicked. So we're going to talk about that. But you know, was that in the early 2000s? In 2004 was when it premiered. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I always thought of that as an older show. Interesting. Yeah, no, 2004. That and Avenue Q and Caroline or Change and. That was, I believe, actually the year that Hugh Jackman won his Tony Award for The Boy From Oz. Now that I'm thinking about it, where he played Peter Allen. Fun! It all connects. It does. <laughs> and we all understand all of these <laughs> Everything Britain said is accessible <laughs> to everybody. Thanks, new listeners, for tuning in. <laughs> I have more questions. Go! Um... Does the musical force in weird moments where it feels like it's trying to be more action heavy? No. 
I am speaking specifically about the sword, the sword fight, fight which I want to talk more about. I was going to say the sword fight is that's where the fireballs happen yeah. in the musical, correct? So it's it's they're they're in a gra- they are in a graveyard. Yeah. But he's throwing fireballs instead of like I'm having a weird sword fight with this dude. That makes me even less intimidating because he actually beats me. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and and they play in the in the show they play more as cool set stunts, cool pyrotechnics mm-hmm. that heighten the show and, and, and actually do make the Phantom seem intimidating because now he has fire magic. Sure. Did right. you grab that flower like his best friend Mario? I um, mean, it's Rose. Uh-huh. I mean. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, no. They add things in to spice up the visual experience, the spectacle of the show. Phantom of the Opera is a spectacle show and I think it, it really succeeds at being that. But it doesn't, it, okay. it, it doesn't feel as ham-fisted as this where it's like quick fight scene are, are you also referring to Patrick Wilson getting stuck under a grate underwater oh god not just that but also when he goes into the hall of mirrors yeah, yeah. and it's like oh god I'm gonna fight the phantom and then the older lady just pulls him out and, Jerry. and it's like oh that was we... <laughs> that happened no the, the bit with cutting room floor one thing goes in another thing. <laughs> the bit with the grate was so... Because I want to also mention... I was very confused as to this, what was happening. It That felt like straight out of Batman Forever when bit. Batman goes... He drops well, through the thing to rescue Nicole Kidman. And bubbles go into Patrick Wilson's mouth. Sure, sure. I have, I have two <laughs> thoughts here. One is that um, both there and earlier with the candles blowing out when the Phantom first shows up, they use some really bad slow-mo. <laughs> Sure. Like I guess it's supposed to be stylistic that it's like oh it's like very like it's it's almost like you know a bad gif, <laughs> um, and I guess that's that's supposed to be a choice, but it just does not look good, especially there's fifteen years. There's later. very strange editing in yes. this, not just with like you had already said before, just with like the sound editing yes. with the lip syncing and um, all that. But there's just very weird cuts. Yes. Like some scenes just end very abruptly. Some things just kind of fade into others, and it's like, wait, what? 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 Uh, um, the other thing. The, the the biggest one that caught my eye is the second reveal, or I guess the true reveal of his face mm-hmm. in front of everyone, and they it they speed ramp it. They speed up the footage of the mask getting ripped off, and it's hilarious. Yeah. I could not take that seriously. <laughs> um, you, you use a cheap editing gimmick to try and make it seem more intense, and it just comes off as laughable. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, 2004, man. The, the, but the bit, 2005. The bit with the great is, is, wonder, whatever, is, is wonderful because um, <clears throat> they, he's, he falls in. I don't really understand. the. Maybe I missed what happened exactly, but it seemed like he fell straight down. Am I mistaken? Possibly. And then I, the great... all I know is he was walking down some stairs, yes. and then he fell through a thing. That's and all it I know. Like he fell straight down, and then the grate began to fall down <laughs> above. Like he would have hit well, the grate. He, he scrunched himself up real skinny. <laughs> he was he so had... scared, he just like Whoa! he saw the water, held his breath, got real turned into a cube, and yeah, fell exactly. in. <laughs> and, then, and then he was like, "Oh, what have I done?" And then he re- <laughs> I should have gotten <laughs> big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the, the so that happens right and then he's he's underwater and like the the grate's coming down and he, he grabs one last breath of water before he goes into the grate and I'm like okay cool and he's trying to, to turn the wheel but like the suspense is that the grate is continuing to fall and I'm like he can't get out of the water like there's no yeah he's already there's no tension in the fact that the grate is getting slightly closer to him 
because he's already going to drown. We don't need to, right. to then emphasize the fact that his body might eventually be crushed by a metal grate after it, the the air has has been left from his body. Like uh, it was very very yeah. odd to me. And there's a ton of slow mo in that scene. That's just like why. Yeah, the the, the play gains that tension through staging and music. <laughs> And not almost like a stage musical. <laughs> exactly, not weird set pieces that take you out of it. <laughs> What's your next question? That's fair. Um, what does it mean to fall in love? Oh, Alex, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that that would well, take like a whole three-hour podcast in and of itself. An angel with music once told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, I, I guess in terms of the overall structure, I felt like this movie was very repetitious. Um, and I, I'm thinking specifically of of the Phantom, basically declaring war upon everyone, yeah. because we have the "all I ask of you" sequence, and then the Phantom shows up, and he's like, "Ah, she chose him over me. Mm-hmm. Ah, you will b- both rue the day." Oh, nice guy, and so forth. <laughs> and then, and you hear some guy yelling like from the street below, well, "I'm a nice guy." <laughs> um, and then he gets on R tw- slash Christine, right. But then twenty minutes later, we have the sword fight at the uh, the graveyard. Yeah. And then it, after that, he then is like, "Oh well, then it will be war upon you both." I'm like, "I thought you already hated them. Like, what? Yeah. Why are we doing this again?" I'm sorry. I just want to just throw throw out uh, Christine cells. <laughs> just, <laughs> just drop that. Move on. Move on. With I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Good lord. I think that he. Um, I think he does that in the show too. You know. It's it's Chekhov's threat. If the threat shows up in the first act, you got to keep doing it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it? Never mind. I was a teenager when I saw this show. Man, I was a different person. Also, very high. Woo, you know me. <laughs> Just <laughs> getting stoned to go to see the Phantom of the Opera. Hitting it up right now. Yeah, Just you to... know me. What are we? The Joe Rogan podcast? Probably. I don't know. I've never, never listened to him. I have no idea. Is this, is this, yeah, Doug Benson, etc. Mark Mark Marin probably I don't know uh-huh. who does podcasts NPR <laughs> yeah Terry Terry Gross <laughs> is getting blazed right now any more cues not really I I, I just think kind of after the point the second point when he's like I declare yeah. war upon you both you already like declared that the movie <laughs> correct I feel like the story just kind of loses its mind and just like. <laughs> all sense of character logic and just people understanding mm. what's happening just flies thoroughly out the window I had so many questions during the final act of this movie it, that, yeah, it's easier to buy in a theater somehow Alex right. again this is a, have, have you seen a lot of stage shows no I've seen a handful and they were all in high sure. school okay. so okay. high school productions not, the not nearly the no, same no. but I mean in, in the basic concept it is yeah okay yeah. brother you haven't lived um, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a perfect musical. I mean, even the, the stage version is better, but it, it is, narratively speaking, it is still flawed. It's just you are so... I The idea, at least, is that you're so overwhelmed by the music and the spectacle of it that, like, it's not that the story doesn't matter necessarily. It's like they don't care about the story. It's like, that's not the point, you know? It's these other, these other elements of it. <clears throat> right. Because, like, uh, just for, like, the final 45 minutes, yeah. when I came back to watching the movie, um, I, I was just, like, just basic questions were popping into my head of just, like, wait, 
So Christine, like, she chooses Raul. All right, I, I buy it. it. Makes sense. Then she just forgets about the Phantom. Yeah. And then he just comes back and she's like, oh no, not the Phantom. And I'm going, well, like, she, there's, the, there's the stuff about her saying that, telling Raul that she doesn't want him to, she doesn't want people to know yeah. that they're together. Because she's that's a little bit of that. That's yeah, fair. and that's a part I, I, in the show that is sung and in the movie is spoken. Because in the show it's, huh. um, think of it a secret engagement, look your future bride. But in the play it's like, think of it a secret engagement, look your future bride. <laughs> But Christine, why is it? <laughs> it's a bit of an odd. It's an odd thing. I do like the reveal when she realizes that the Phantom was her teacher, and she looks at him, and she's like, she puts it all together, and she's like, January embers, and the Phantom goes, I burned there too, and I was like, well, this is the only thing I don't buy in this movie. Where did that? It wasn't set up at all. <laughs> Speaking of then... a good movie that is spooky. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but then also, just like that final stage production that they have. Yeah. Why are the police not backstage? Like, because the I, Phantom I think the showing Phantom up. Phantom has some kind of threat about if you tell the police, then I'll kill more people beforehand or something. But they have the police stationed at the opera. Oh. Oh, I yeah. think Raul has some plan that he's like, no, no, no. I'll tell you when to call them in. I love how Raul has a plan, but then we, we have never actually know what it is. The way you said that makes me, made me think of Matthew McConaughey playing Raul, uh, which is also, <laughs> I, I, I think... I, 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 no, 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 no. We're in the captain's fan. You just gotta trust me. You just gotta trust me. Um, but, but then it just leads into the fact that the Phantom can just show up on stage and nobody's questioning sure. it, and it takes Raul like ten minutes into <laughs> Christine and the Phantom singing at each other to be like... Wait, is that the Phantom? (laughs) (laughs) And then I I feel like we need him to start like comically like waving his hands at the owners of the theater. It's him! He's there, the Phantom of the Opera. And I I feel like it's easily just a matter of editing. Because if the idea is just, no, we want the Phantom to kind of play his hand in full. I feel like you just edit it so like the second the Phantom comes out we then show the shots of, of Raul going, oh, that's him. Right. And then, like, him looking at the theater owners and, yeah. and everybody kind of connecting. But then him going, wait, hold off, don't do anything yet. Right. Still doesn't make sense for him to let the Phantom go on as, as long as he does. But it's something. It's like the bit in Jurassic... It should be like the bit in Jurassic Park where the guy's going, shoot her! But instead, <laughs> instead he's, he's pointing at the chandelier and he's like, chandelier! <laughs> chandelier! Oh my god, now I'm just thinking of Batman Forever when, when Batman breaks through the glass ceiling to enter the parties. Batman! Eh! Chandelier! Phantom! Eh! Can we literally... They should have spliced in that exact shot of that guy with Nicole Kidman there, but they dub him. That would have been cool. Well, and, this, and this movie, also, the, the, I believe in the play, the Phantom dies at the end. I believe like he does Well, I think, isn't it, die. like, sort of ambiguous? Yes, but it's supposed... Ambiguous, but essentially he dies. However... But, it, but he can be... He is magical. Because you guys... Is, you know what... Love never dies. And in the sequel, which takes place on Coney Island, including a musical scene that goes, Coney Island, or something like that. 
you know, the creepiest place on Earth. Which is great because I did not know this. Apparently it is based on another book. Really? Not by the same guy. Oh. Like, it is based on a follow-up book okay. called... I gotta, I gotta look at the title. Kind of like how Wicked isn't based on an Elf Frightened Bomb, but it is based right. on a book. Gotcha. Right, right. Let me, I was let really me hoping this. you were gonna say it's based on another book called Quantum of Solace. It's another book by Sapphire. The, the title is. <laughs> give me, give me, let me. Well, because the thing about Love Never Dies is it's a sequel years later where. But, but it retcons and retroactively ruins all the characters. <laughs> where now Christina's like super selfish. Raul's like an angry drunk. And the Phantom. Like, Raul and Christine have a son who it turns out is actually the Phantom's son. Because apparently the Phantom did sleep with Christine that night. Um, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. If we were supposed to infer anything from just her showing up to his man cave and then like... And she just... wakes up the next day. Yeah. In this particular movie, I prefer that it, that doesn't happen because the actress is 16. Right. In the play... Correct. Ah, whatever. Do what your bodies want, you know? Come on. We're, we're, we're married, not buried. Wait. <laughs> Tyler, what what did you find so, for us? So, uh, a couple things here. Well, I, I want to address, first of all, why this is so, like... Because, basically... So, the, the, the point of Love Never Dies, which I listened to, like, maybe half of, and I was like, I'm done here. Yes. Um, uh, after looking up the plot of it later. Uh, the purpose is basically uh, where, where the entire kind of point of this is, the, of a fan of the opera, is that the fan is like, hey, I, uh, you know... I realize that actually I've done horrible things to and, and like emotional torture to this person, uh, and I regret my actions, and um, I, I I'm gonna go think about some stuff and yeah. like generally uh, you know obviously Christine and Raúl end up together because they escape the Phantom and they, and Christine is able to turn the Phantom and make him. You are a good woman. I am a good yes, man. Yes, uh, Christine is able to to make. Uh, the phantom realized the error of his ways and sort of like it's it's about his obsession with her and, and how that's so unhealthy and everything uh and the the general gist of love never dies because uh sort of the entire plot is um that the phantom actually is totally right for christine and mm -hmm. raul is a drunk gambler yeah, yeah no you're um, right so it sounds like a poor fan fiction from uh, the team Phantom Camp. Yes, one hundred percent. Okay. And the ending also posits that Carnies make great adoptive parents uh, because we should address the Phantom uh, is revealed to have had a child. Yeah, with Christine. Christine. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, because she, that, of that, Raul thinks is his, and then because Raul. not because of the like the, the the part you were talking about, but because after the events of the the play i believe mm. they then have like before she gets her, a note that says you up <laughs> pretty much like before their her wedding to raul they actually meet up again and sleep together oh wow and that's and and so it's like what it's like the it's like the end of manhattan or something where like i ran into christine sometimes later she was with another man i was with another child and <laughs> but it's like the phantom is is like christine wow you look Wow, you look great. I'm really happy for you. Like, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm great. I'm actually taking some classes at the community college. Well, I'm teaching. I'm just imagining. I'm, I'm learning some pottery and teaching some piano. It's it's simple, but it's nice. You know, like I really feel more in touch with me. Like, like now I know Eric a, a lot better. And like that's just real. What are you? What are you doing? Look at you. You look great. Are you on keto? Like, what's? It's kind of your whole thing. How's uh, Reggie or whatever. 
I'm just imagining the Phantom showing up like Jacob does uh, when Bella and Edward are getting married, just with like shirtless, six pack abs. Gerard Butler being like, "I don't think he's the one for you." How often do you think about people showing up like that, Alex? <laughs> oh, all the time. How about you? <laughs> Especially Gerard Butler. Watch it, watching um, Transformers. Now I'm just thinking about Optimus Prime showing up all glistening and rippling and just... I mean, he does that, and then he says, we will kill them yeah, all. He made and I was like, all right, you kill them all, Op. Um, you kill them all. So so now that we've established <laughs> that the Phantom, is ba- or the, that Love Never Dies is basically... Uh, actually, the Phantom is a nice guy, and you guys all suck for hating him. It's fanfic. Um, yes. Exactly. Um, Christine dies at the end, correct? Yep, she does. And in a hilarious bit of staging where they pass her body to somebody else, like, I don't know, you take it. <laughs> it's amazing. They play hot potato with ba- Christine's Oh, basically corpse. they do. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's hysterical. Um, so, uh, first of all, it's based on a book called The Phantom of Manhattan, <gasps> which was written in 1999, oh my God. Um, approximately, you know, 100-something years after the original book. Uh, some guy just was like, I'm going to make a sequel. It's going to be great. Um, and let me just read you the first paragraph. Yes. It's actually not the first. So the, there, there's always the paragraph on, to set the stage here, there's the paragraph on Wikipedia describing what it is. And then there's the first kind of paragraph explaining a little bit more in detail. And so let me just read this off here. The plot is not based on the storyline in the original book by Gaston Leroux. Lloyd Webber stated, I don't regard this as a sequel. It's a standalone piece. He later clarified, clearly it is a sequel, but I really do not believe that you have to have seen Pit with the opera to understand Love Never Dies. Glenn Slater subsequently explained that Lloyd Webber didn't view it as a sequel so much as a second story with these characters. The musical is set in 1907, which Lloyd Webber states is 10 years roughly after the end of the original Phantom, although the events of the original actually took place in 1881. My head hurts. That's amazing. (laughs) That's good stuff. I would also point out that two things about the experience of watching the show. There's a kangaroo demon at one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Less said about that, the better. Also, there's a bit where um, at the end of the first act, I was like, this is not a show that I enjoy. (laughs) The woman who I was seeing it with we're just watching the play in intermission, and I'm just kind of sitting there, and she goes, this is not very good. And I lost weight exhaling a sigh of relief. I was like, you're right. You're really okay. I'm so glad you... Okay, we're on the same page. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the the kangaroo demon? Yeah, it's a crazy thing that, honestly, doesn't really need to exist. And, and also, the music itself doesn't really soar for me. They, they have this whole thing that he's been writing... This song for Christina it's taken him 10 years to write it and it's the title song and it's very bland and just not that interesting or unique but it allows Christine to wear a peacock dress and sing at you center stage in front of a curtain while they change the set and then because well, they're still changing the set she gestures to each third of the audience to get an individual ovation from each uh, not quadrant trident or whatever each third of them to, to make the time pass oh my god it was Inter- That's awkward. Yeah, it was awkward. Okay. And you got to fill the time. Look, I've had to cover during stage changes. Usually the play is written in a way that allows you to do that. You don't just go out there and, you know, end of Midsummer Night. Maybe that's how people. it's written, you know? Yeah, maybe. It was a heck of an uh, experience. 
Tyler's just like, maybe it reads better on the page. Yeah, yeah you know? This song is really great as a book. So, um, <laughs> I'd like to spend some time to talk about Kieran Hines' uh, filmography. Oh, yes, the great Kieran Hines. Oh, my God. Um, because... Uh, while while looking him up, uh, I I thought mistakenly that he was uh, in one of the, the the latter Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Thankfully, he is not. But uh, I would still argue he may have the worst agent of all time, <laughs> um, because he seems to be a genuinely good actor. Definitely is. Um, having not seen him in, in much, aside from some of the movies I'm about to tell you about. Um, so uh, let's just let's just get on the list here. Um, so he started acting like the 80s um, the first thing that really caught my eye was something that ha- that came out in 1998 uh, which seems suspicious because it is called Titanic Town <laughs> um, it, it, it has a very is it a, sa- is it a town where they sell Titanics? no like uh, just... it, it has an extremely extremely short Wikipedia article no uh, Taft had that shut down <laughs> <laughs> um he said he said it was due to like illegal dumping grounds yeah, or exactly. something. <laughs> so it just it just says it the, the Wikipedia article just has the premise. And yes, we're just using Wikipedia to research these things. Uh-huh. Don't worry about Naturally. it. Naturally. Um it also seems to be a, a small movie, I should I should be fair, because like it made like sixty five thousand dollars worldwide. Wow. Even in the nineties, I mean. Um, On a budget of fifty million dollars. <laughs> it does not list a budget, so uh it the premise is just Aiden and Bernie McPhillamy are a mother and father caught in the Northern Ireland Troubles in Belfast, known for building the Titanic. So that, that yeah, there you go. It's Titanic count because oh, they built okay. a Titanic there, Alex. I, keep up. Um, <laughs> Bernie's close. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera requires some deep thinking. <laughs> Bernie's close friend is killed in the crossfire, so and so she becomes involved in the peace process. And that's it. That's all the information <laughs> I have about this. There's probably more somewhere. I'm not going to look it up. Karen Hines was in it. <laughs> and we're living um, here in Titanic Town. <laughs> next, next, uh, next thing I noted here, uh, he was in Laura Croft's Tomb Raider: The, Cl- the Cradle of Life, which the Wikipedia page uh, famous or um, helpfully notes uh, is also known as simply Tomb Raider: The Cradle of Life. So okay. you can say it a little bit shorter. Um, it is the sequel. To the first Lord Croft movie, probably. Yes, correct. Um, uh, which also stars Gerard Butler, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's a thing he did. Um, let me let me see. What is it? He's in There Will Be Blood, <laughs> just just randomly, just yeah. in the middle of, of of this. There's also a bunch of other stuff I'm skipping over that I don't have funny things to say about. The next thing he's in is Race to Witch Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um. Uh, then uh, it follows this up with uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is Aberforth mm-hmm. um, again it, it made money it, it was it had a critical success um, that franchise casts every single actor from the UK they can find true. it's fine the movie is also terrible um, then he's in uh, <laughs> two years later he's in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance yep correct the sequel uh, playing the devil in the sequel not in the first one correct He's also in some good movies. Just want to point he, out. He, well, that's what I was saying. Just in the middle of all of this, he's in There Will Be Blood. Well, and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spot. Sure, sure. Um, uh, but then he's also in John Carter. Which is awesome. Uh, but which... Yes, he is the leader of the, the good tribe To my understanding, made no money. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a flop, but not because it isn't um, delightful. And he's an elf. It's the fl- it's the flop that Britain and I love. Sure, sure. Uh, look, look at this though. He's the flop who loved he's me. In, if you he's will. in Frozen as Grand Pappy, which <laughs> I I can't say I remember which which character that is. Um, he follows this up a couple years later with Hitman Agent Forty Seven, oh, wow. another video game sequel. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Uh, it. I uh, know it was a it was a reboot. It has a nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, somehow it, it got a lower score. Imagine that. <laughs> Go figure that one out, Tyler. He's in, he's in silence. Okay, uh, yeah. he's with the uh, with with Scorsese. This is a Scorsese one. Yes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He did uh, Hamlet with Benedict. Sure, Benedict sure, Benedict. sure. Uh, then he's in Justice League. As as our favorite villain of all time, Steppenwolf. Uh, he also was Mance Raider on Game of Thrones. Yes, and and there it does seem like he's. <laughs> Britain, I love how you you just feel the need to interject. Here are the things that he's in where where like they give him an opportunity to do something. I'm just saying the balance there is not. It's crazy. It's yeah. not ideal. It's not ideal. Yeah, he's a really good actor who is not in. He does not always get to show that off. I thought he was fine in this. I really enjoyed him and Callow together, just in general, because mm. I like those actors. It was a fun duo. Yeah. Oh, guys. So we had fun. Were you guys uh, totally scarified by this movie? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did it make you want to watch more musicals? I mean, I'd be interested in watching more musicals regardless. Yay, we're going to do Newsies! (laughs) Oh, oh my god. For the next Halloween special. Yeah. I mean, that watched a, that movie yeah, or not? That but. was that was a that was a movie that I uh, I watched and very much enjoyed. Um, well, but was also fascinated by the fact that it's actually just about like union politics. Yeah, for <laughs> I sure. was not expecting this. <laughs> it's pretty long too, as I recall. Yes. Well, the, the whole time I'd just be going, "All right, all right, whatever, whatever musical we're doing, got we got to throw in a goofy movie. Got to do it. <laughs> got to do it." I mean, we can do it, man. You know me, I'm Lucy Goosey. Lucy Goofy. Yeah, I'm Lucy Goofy. <laughs> I'm from One Piece and Disney. I'm Luffy Goofy. That's for our anime oh fans out there. All you true otakus. Oh my god. <laughs> Alex says as he adjusts his Naruto headband. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's a sleep mask. Leave me alone. I, 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 I seriously don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's something even funnier about Naruto's sleep mask. I have to say. <laughs> if you like Naruto, it's fine. Enjoy things. It's probably fine <laughs> oh boy is there anything else we need to say about Le Phantom de l'Opera before we del- del- delve into so. our, oh, our curtain call I did have one question with regards to kind of the final scene and I actually mm. like that final scene in terms of like oh the Phantom visited her, her grave right. that's a nice touch and it's got the ring on the rose yeah I like that um why does the monkey hold like any special place for Raul or Christine? Does Christine interact with it all that uh, much? It, it played. I think it played a song that they knew in their childhood. Okay. I think it's something like that. Something to do with Doesn't their childhood. She see that is not at some point, said in the movie. I swear, is she, it? I swear she actually sees like yeah, the thing. Like in that. It, I want to say in his man cave. Maybe. It's no, but like even if she sees it, why would Raul feel the need to? Yeah, get this for her. Like that—that that didn't make any sense. To I can't me. remember. I, I mean, I remember. I—I I, I can't remember now, but I believe it, it is addressed. I also remember when I saw it because in the in the musical there is some singing in that opening during the auction. 
And I remember hearing the voice of the guy who played Raoul, Tim Martin Gleason, being like, he has a beautiful voice. And he does. He would later go on to, quite like Ramin Karimloo, play uh, Haley Seinfeld's dad in Bumblebee. He was Raoul when I saw Phantom of the Opera. Good stuff. Alex is mad because I reminded him of Bumblebee. His most hated movie of 20 whatever. It was, it, was, it was better than this. Yes, I think. <laughs> I was well, waiting for Brittany to go, I will, I will yes? say this, though. Yes. Fan, well, Phantom of the Opera does not have one robot throwing a bunch of chains around to other robot, right. yanking on those chains, and then the second robot exploding. So right. you're right. He we're, also, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going back into one that. to Bumblebee. He also only uh, kind of pilots a boat he doesn't use a boat to kill another robot yes okay so. point two to bumblebee a hit a palpable hit they both do a lot of 80s fun music t- time mm-hmm. they both have Hamley Steinfeld <laughs> in in my head I guess <laughs> Hamley Steinfeld is they're both about, Monsieur Filmat both, both about transforming robots um Oh gosh! Both came out in 2018. I mean, uh, Mini Driver's hair in several scenes. If you told me that was a transformer, I'd, I'd totally buy it. So that's a shame that she doesn't get to use both, her real uh, voice. Both directed by Joel Schumacher. <laughs> uh, letter grades, rating movies with our grades. Letter grades. Look and see, there's another movie next week. Is it A? Is it B? Is it C? Is it? Flyer wrote. The, but, just, just finish. I know. Finish the grade. Is it D or E or F? We don't do easy. Alex, uh, Should have said F or Q, man. I, I just wanted to say that that when you um when you it's a it's a common refrain where you say uh, can I ask a question and I I just really at some point I would really like you to just just say can I ask a question how dare you <laughs> I think I think that that would be or uh, or that you would ask the question and then say that's all I ask of you. <laughs> if you'd like to play in this space this opera space we've all built together with friendship that's fair that's fair am, am I going to be the first to go yeah, before, but... oh okay yeah tell me uh, Alex, I'm gonna give what did a... you think of me think of me fondly sorry go on no you did a very good job of cutting me off right before I got to the, the grade what can I say I got a song a good in my timing. um I'm giving it a D plus okay like I said, I think <laughs> could it be beyond the D spectrum? <laughs> correct. Um, beyond the just weird character things and and story structure and and things just feeling repetitive or not making enough sense to me. Um, my big focus trying to look at this as a musical was going okay. So even if that stuff's not working for me, how is the musical aspect of it? How how are the are the, the the numbers and all that stuff? And I just it wasn't carrying me through. Like I feel like it, it, if you are going to have hollow characters and a fairly hollow plot, you need that to really you need to step up your game with that. You need and to I feel really like, in a hand. Yeah, you need at that point you got your. It's like you're watching the Hollow Man. Correct. Never actually seen that. Neither have I. Um, <laughs> But but it it felt like it, it really needed to step up its game with regards to all of that, and it just like in spots it did, yeah, but not consistently. And this movie should not be two and a half hours. This should be like an hour forty five max. <laughs> Plays pretty long. <laughs> yes, and I say that as we're recording a podcast that is nearing the length For, of the movie. Yeah. D plus. So, I'm gonna go C minus. <laughs> 
especially the chandelier. Oh, so Every, chandelier. Everything you just said. Well, C minus. But they're, they're down one chandelier, so a C minus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Thematic. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, is it me? You know, guys. Well, uh, you can I think we've learned that. something today. No, uh, so th- this movie. I, I did inevitably come at it from a totally different angle of just how do they do adapting this musical that I ultimately am fairly ambivalent towards. <laughs> and It's a very specific niche. As far as that, I think it did a, a decent job. It, it definitely could have done better. But the thing, watching this movie, it, it reminded me so much of when I saw Phantom in high school and when I saw Love Never Dies, which even though like obviously I like one more than the other, they were both really unique and special experiences. And they're memories that... I don't go back to that often. So being reminded of them and being taken back to that space, because you know, sound is obviously such a powerful memory trigger, was really special to me. And and I, I, this is not the definitive version of the Phantom of the Opera, um, nor would it be. And when you've listened, when you listen to, to musicals, you listen to cast albums, you get used to. There's a there's a bunch of versions of this. You just kind of find the one you like the most. So for this, I was like, yeah, the singing isn't always what I want, but. You know, I have the I got the other versions. I'm fine. Um, I did like Emmy Rossum a lot in this, and I liked uh, Callow and Hines. Like I said, I don't know. I, this this movie to me brought a lot of really lovely things to mind, and it got me back into musical. Not that I was I've ever really stopped being in musical theater, but it kind of kind of gave that a, a, a shot in the arm and got me back listening to like '80s popra, which I enjoy anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 gonna go B minus. More admittedly, for just overall fondness for the for the medium but yeah i think of all the, the, the this this movie musical did not make me angry which mo- mis- several have done nor did it completely overjoy me which some have done so yeah i think it'd be minus sounds fair cool yeah it is cool <laughs> yeah i'm kind of that's that. That is literally the perfect word to describe it. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like a podcast bad boy. <laughs> Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us online at herecomethesequels.boxone.com. You can find us on Twitter at hctsequels. You can find us on iTunes at herecomethesequels. Just by searching it, I almost said the other thing. <laughs> at iTunes.pizza. <laughs> you can email us, herecomethesequels at gmail.com. Uh, there's probably something else I missed. I don't know. You say that every week. You guys are doing a big Halloween spectacular well, usually, without fail. Usually, I say that, and then one of you catches me. So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna hope that you were both paying attention, and therefore I got yeah. everything. I'm not gonna do a pro- Don't uh, worry, I wasn't. I'm not gonna do, do an official recommendation this week because you know we're just kind of having a offbeat episode. But I will say, hey, if you like Patrick Wilson singing, go out and listen to the Full Monty or uh, Bright Lights Big City both a lot of fun albums very different he's great in both and hey Bright Lights Big City Jesse Martin is amazing on that album check him out um, Alex do we want to tell the folks what we're doing next week or do we want it to be a surprise um, we can go ahead and tell okay. them there's already a surprise within the surprise so so uh, Tyler and I we had our big musical thing a big episode which was a lot of fun uh, Alex was on vacay uh, next week, Tyler's going to be on vacay. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, what? I mean, it's not a. It's not a vacation. It's a business vacation. <laughs> Alex, Tyler's not going to be recording with us next <laughs> next time. So Alex and I were like, "What can it's, we? It's do? much sadder than that. Okay? <laughs> what can we do?" And and Alex finally managed to shout above my ever increasing cries of anime. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> As I slip on my Naruto uh, sleep, sleep mask. Exactly. Correct. <laughs> no, uh, we, we, Alex and I, and that's actually Alex's idea. So, Alex, do you want to explain to the people what we're going to do? Because I really like this uh, idea. Sure. So, I, I, I was kind of thinking about it and just kind of just things that we have discussed recently on the podcast and I, I, I immediately latched on to Britain's recommendations every week um, and so I thought what if Britain and myself if we gave each other kind of a list of different movies ideally that we haven't seen before um, so each of us like I would supply Britain with five potential movies to watch he would supply me with five potential movies to watch then we would go we would choose one go watch it and then come back and discuss it mm-hmm um, Which I think would be fun. We so, both give each other the lists. I think I've decided what I'm going to do from Alex is he still – I just gave him mine before we started recording. Yeah. And it, it, I think this will be really interesting because Alex and I – I mean obviously you know we, we see all the same movies for the podcast. But then outside of the podcast, I feel like we do have different movie experiences. And right. we've seen a lot of the same movies, but we are constantly bringing up a title that the other one hasn't seen. And so it's going to be interesting, I think – to, to be fair, that that's that's more you doing that than me. I, th- I feel like you've seen most of the movies that I bring up in conversation. Yeah, but, but was even a lot of those I haven't seen in like ten years. So I'd be essentially right. watching them for the first time again. So th- though that's really interesting to revisit. Even if I remember them, to go, how do I view that movie now? Uh, at the end right. of my life. Um, <laughs> but I think it'll be an interesting time. So we're each going to discuss right. a movie. Um, the other one recommended. And uh, right. after that, we will be back to our regularly scheduled franchises. Do we want to announce what that franchise is? Are we still deciding it? Do we know? I think we're. I think we're uh, committed. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's going to be Pitch Perfect, yeah. finishing up the James Bond movies, and then Fast and Furious. Oh, that's accurate. That... Cool. And we might do some okay. other holiday stuff, kind of in around those. But those are basically our next franchises. We'll do uh, the the Phantom of the Christmas. Oh, the Phantom of the Yule Log. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to do Pitch Perfect. That's going to be some more of uh, my, my sort of, uh, not expertise, but, you know, stuff that I think about a lot. Um, that would be weird going into that and being like, my only frame of reference for, like, recent musicals is Phantom of the Pitch Opera. Pitch a musical. <laughs> There's a bunch of musical numbers. Yeah, it's not a musical. I, I know, I know. No, I'm not, and that's why I'm sad. <laughs> I remember at the, my senior year of high school, one of my friends was like, wouldn't it be amazing if life were just a musical and just singing? And I was like, what do you think I've been telling you for four years? <laughs> Have you had any conversation with high school Britain? It, don't. I don't recommend it. It was unbearable. I, I think this was an SNL skit at one point where Zac oh, Efron God. was on it. Possibly. <laughs> um, where uh, Basically, the, there's a joke that I've always remembered where, where he's talking to the like the, the senior class uh, after him at mm-hmm. whatever high school is in, the sure, high school sure. musical. Uh, franchise, and um, he he says something like, "There is zero singing in college, <laughs> nothing, no choreography," and it's it, it's a very a that's very good fun. bit. Uh, so that's uh, that's my way of saying that we should do the uh, High School Musical trilogy at some point. I think. Nope. Are they doing like a? a re- am I making this up? Are they doing some sort of sequel or revival, or maybe like a series? Is that what it is? Oh, they're, I know they're, they're doing a, a HBO just bought a. They're going to do a, a series based on Greece. I think there's a high school musical probably like Disney Plus thing going on. Probably going to be one. Do you guys want to audition as a trio and say yeah. we only? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as part of whatever that thing we came up with with Michael Fassbender. Was is it? Yeah. Is it sad? <laughs> Immediately I thought of us being in a musical, but the three of us would just be the lollipop guild oh. from The Wizard of Oz. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I'm the scarecrow. That's all I know. Right, because they're doing like a thing on Disney Plus that's supposed to be sort of like an American Vandal type documentary thing where it's like they're kids talking about the fact that they're going to the high school where the high school musicals happened. Interesting. Or something. That sounds amazing. It sounds sounds fascinating. It could. uh, It also could be a complete train wreck. But see, if if they they purchase the rights to the D-Spectrum, well, it's Disney, so they can... There's no real rebranding necessary there. They can just sort of... That's true. (laughs) Michael Fassbender, I've heard him saying he's not bad. So now we're saying the D-Spectrum is a musical high school? I think if it crosses over with it, it will will become for that episode at least. Gotcha. Cool. (laughs) Well, guys, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Alex and I's episode will be out on Halloween. But until then, have a safe and happy spooky season. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, um, not actually, too spooky. Uh, yeah, the my, results are in. You both uh, secretly gave me the uh, the movie that you're going to be talking about. Uh, you're both actually you've you've selected the Phantom of the Opera. It's oh Joel Schumacher's no! 2004. It's an Ouroboros, <laughs> like Armin Gunder. Uh, join us, join us next week uh, <laughs> here on the uh, the official uh, podcast of Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> For each and every week, we discuss Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, it's a fan cast. Oh, don't worry. And th- you know how, how how we said like, oh, this this episode's about the runtime of the movie. All the other ones will be longer. Woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're all gonna go watch Veronica Guerin now. So, guys, do you, uh, can I do the the last part of the sign off? You can. Cool. Yeah, and you guys go ahead okay. and say goodbye. All right. Well, I've been Tyler. I've been Alex. And you know, all this time, you always <laughs> knew that that man and mystery were both in me. Britain. And you out there, huddled around your candy corn and your glowing jack-o'-lanterns, you're having a great and spooky night. Good night, everybody. Dun-dun-dun-dun! Dun-dun! dun 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 dun